Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Uh, this episode is recorded on Wednesday, November 14th, 2018, starting at 5.18 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this will probably be the 122nd or 123rd episode of the show. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Kelly Surtees and Austin Kopic about the astrological forecast for December of 2018. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. Uh, hey guys, welcome back to the show. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. Hey. All right, so we're recording this a little bit early in the month. It's only like December 14th, which is unusual for us, but it's because Austin, you are going out of town on a major journey that you just finalized. You just got together finally at the last minute in a pre-Mercury retrograde snafu sort well, of fashion. Well, it was, it was supposedly final two months ago. Um, so yeah, we decided to talk about this as a good example of you know the days leading up to a Mercury retrograde often being often being as harrowing as the as the retrograde itself has a reputation for being basically um so yeah i'm going to be in melbourne uh in about 5 days and we're doing a big event i'm doing a big event with gordon white it's going to be awesome so below um it's sold out it's been sold out and so we put this together over the summer kind of quick and i needed to renew i actually need to get a new passport because i I lost my old passport a couple years ago. And so, I don't know, about a month ago, uh, well, a little bit more than a month ago, I ordered the two or the two week, like rapid, you know, pay a little extra money, get your passport fast. Right. Because I wanted to leave some extra, you know, I wanted to leave um, room for error, so to speak. And last Monday, this is Tuesday the 14th right now, I received a letter in the mail from the passport agency which said the birth certificate which you submitted as proof of citizenship does not have a raised or embossed seal and so we have rejected your application oh god um which is you know a real problem because at that point we had we already had a sold out event we'd already bought um non-refundable tickets across the world etc cetera, etc cetera. right and so i went into deep panic and i called um I called everybody I possibly could. Uh, my parents, the state of Georgia, where I was born, the U.S. passport agency. And in order to get it done in time, I needed a new passport issued because, no, excuse me, not a, well, I did, but I needed a new birth certificate. Because when I was born in Georgia in 1979, they didn't do fancy raised seals on the birth certificates. So even the original wasn't good enough. So I had to get a new one reissued, but you couldn't get one of those through the mail in time for me to give it to the passport agency and for them to process it and give me back my passport. So I found out that you could do it in person in about 20 minutes. And so um, I was born in Georgia and you have to go to Atlanta to do that. And so I was mm, looking at maybe having to book some extremely expensive last minute tickets to do that. But my brother, who's in Florida now, made a heroic eight-hour journey north the next day. Got and he's uh, and got my got my birth certificate because he's related by blood. You can have your mom, dad, children, or siblings get your birth certificate. Um, and then overnighted that to me. I got that last Friday, and then I just got back from Seattle, which I flew to 
uh, for a Tuesday appointment with the pat the the passport agency. There are only a few there. Are, um, the places where you can actually go in and talk to somebody for a passport are states away. Like there isn't one in Oregon. And so and you can only get an appointment usually if you've um, if you're I think you're going to fly within eight days or something. And so I'm flying in less than that. So I went in there um, and I they didn't. Uh, when I talked to the passport agency on the phone, they were like, yeah, we're not sure what you need to bring and we're not sure what they're going to be able to do for you. Oh, God. Right. And I'm just, you know, just shitting my pants all week long. Right. Because you have this um, huge I, like trip that's been scheduled out for months. Yeah. You know, it's it's literally, I was saying earlier, it's literally like like a nightmare of guilt and shame where you yeah. ruined everything for everybody. Right. Um, and But I went in and yesterday I got the passport. And it was actually really easy, and I, um, I, I don't know how to put it other than I, if if you can imagine unshitting your pants, right? <laughs> this is, I mean, that's a great Mercury retrograde story. And even though Mercury's not retrograde yet, it's actually getting ready to station here really soon. It's oh, already it's so in the, close. It's so close. It's in the pre-retrograde shadow phase, which it actually entered. So this is a good lesson for everybody who's not familiar with shadow periods or how Mercury retrogrades work that there's a there's a bit of like a even before Mercury actually stations retrograde once it passes the degrees that it will eventually retrograde back to um you really do sometimes start seeing uh some of the things that we would typically associate with a Mercury retrograde either starting to be put into place as like a preparatory step before the retrograde itself or um, sometimes you actually see people struggling with like things that we would associate with the rec- retrograde period itself, which is what this sounds like. Yeah, and it's worth noting that um, over the last few days, Mercury has been, um, you know, deep in the shadow, and you know, within a couple days of the station, and tightly square my natter, natter, natural, <laughs> or my nat- my natal, my natal Saturn in Virgo in the third. Okay, which could certainly. Opposes planets in the ninth, thereby thereby restricting international travel, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But always overcome, you know. And so, if you if you're applying for a passport, make sure the birth certificate you submit has like a shiny raised or embossed seal, um, because your the one you were issued originally might not have that, and it was just that seal, um, that meant that my brother had to spend like a day and a half driving. Well, he didn't have to, he heroically volunteered and I had to book, you know, I had to book an emergency flight and wait in line. Da, 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 da. Um, so, you know, all of that because of an insufficiently fancy seal on the birth certificate. Right. And by the way, when I submitted the original paperwork, the, uh, the passport agent that I talked to, who's not, who can't create a passport, but that you have to talk to somebody to file the paperwork, looked at everything and was like, this is just fine. You've got everything you need. Oh, my and goodness. And so, she, you know, she was so nice and helpful, but now I kind of want to kill her. Yeah, I mean, so this is a pretty standard, though, Mercury retrograde type manifestation in terms of running into like obstacles or difficulties or snafus, but then sometimes it just being a thing that you have to push through. And sometimes things still work out in the end, anyways, but it's something where um, it requires like patience and perseverance to deal with a lot of little annoying logistical issues and like um, things that crop up out of nowhere. 
Yeah, this one, you know, one thing that was interesting to me about this one is this, so this Mercury retrograde is um, going to be primarily in Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about, we actually talked last week about Sagittarius and quests and adventures. And so, you know, my brother had to go on a road trip. I had to take an unplanned journey. Like there was, you know, there was, there was journey to it, um, which under other circumstances I might've counted as an adventure. Sure. And in order to go on my Australian adventure, which will be like a fun, good adventure. Right. Yes. Have you had a like a Mercury retrograde annoying snafu like that, Kelly, before where you had to just like push through, but eventually things came together without being completely wrecked? Yeah, absolutely. That's probably my most common type of Mercury retrograde experience is right. where the shit hits the fan and you've got to put all this extra logistical effort in to make something happen that originally seemed like it was going to be smooth. Um, just like what Austin's saying. I mean, I've had flights where you sit on the tarmac for an hour and a half instead of pushing back from the gate. Right. You still get where you're trying to go, but it takes, you know, either longer or more effort uh, to deal with it. So, and and the end result, this is one thing that I'll talk a lot about with Mercury Retrograde on social media when people are emailing me, tearing their hair out, thinking the sky's falling in like chicken little, you know, Mercury retrograde, it's not a terminal thing. It usually won't prevent what you're trying to do. It just makes it that much harder and puts six more hoops in your way. And as long as you're prepared and you're flexible enough to deal with whatever those hoops might be, like Austin, you had to juggle things around. You had to fly to another state when you weren't planning it, but you said, I'm going to show up and do this. And you were able to negotiate with Hermes and get it get it done. Yeah. Basically, right. I was like, whatever, as long as there's a way, I'll do it. Yeah. Whatever, right. whatever the, you know, whatever the path is. And sometimes it makes you do, there's like a do-over where you have to do it a second time where you would have ideally just wanted to just do it once and be done with it. But sometimes that process of doing it a second time, that's not really relevant in Austin's instance, but can- Well, yeah, it is. I had to to submit a birth certificate a second. Yeah. I had literally had to give them my picture again. I had to give them my birth certificate again. I had to do everything again. Yeah. And you had to do over, but I'm saying that sometimes the second do over can be better than what you would have done during the first time. And I've learned that sometimes there's like those rare, there's those mercury retrograde instances where there's like a point to it. And you come out of it perhaps stronger, having persevered and having pushed through to the other side, where the process of having to do it a second time sometimes makes whatever you do better because you put more thought into it and because you've had the experience of doing it once already. Like, you know, a, a typical Mercury retrograde might be like writing a paper or like an article or something and then losing it and having to write the whole thing over again. And it's like a pain and it's like a process you have to go through. You still have to push through. But then maybe because you wrote it twice, sometimes the second version ends up coming out better. Yeah. I totally, I, I'm sorry I didn't think of this before when you were asking me about a story. I'm actually living one right now because on the last Mercury retrograde in that early part of August, I had to buy a new laptop. And of course, I know as an astrologer, that's not a good time to buy a piece of technology. Right. But I was going on a trip and I needed to take a laptop with me because I'd just been working off my desktop. Yeah. And in the last week or so, well, a, about a week after buying that laptop, it started playing up. Right. It had problems with its Wi-Fi card and I had to get a dongle because it forgot that it knew how to do Wi-Fi without this extra thing. Like I landed in Australia, I had this computer for a week and it doesn't work on the Wi-Fi. So I'm absolutely shitting my pants just the same way Austin was because I'm like, I have to work off this computer. We had podcasts to record, I had readings to do. So I'm going to, you know, the 
I don't know what it's called in Australia, like Best Buy, whatever the tech store is. I think I went to this tech store every day for a week. I need this other thing. I need this extra thing. Anyway, made it work. And now in the last week, it's just playing up even more. And I've been meaning to take it back because it should still be under warranty. And anyway, it's going back in the next few days. And I'm just thinking I might wait till next week, but it's got to go back. And I don't know if they're going to give me a replacement one. And I kind of don't want the same type of laptop again. I want a different one because I want a better option. So totally what you're saying there, Chris, is like, I'm going to take a bit more time this go around. I'm not leaving for a trip in any kind of hurry and hopefully get a better result than what happened last time. Yeah. Although although the part of the lesson that's important, I think that more advanced astrologers learn is you still have to do it. Like You still have to go through the motions and just go into it knowing that there might be some hassles and there might be some delays, there might be some do-overs, but you don't not most of the time, especially if you're in a situation where like in Austin's case, it really demanded it. You don't put off doing it or you don't avoid doing it. You just try to go into it with the awareness that there might be some additional things that you have to do. Um, but sometimes you just have to do what you have to do and you can't just like completely stop living your life just because Mercury's gone retrograde or Venus has gone retrograde or something like that. Uh-uh. You can't. Right. Yeah. Although, I mean, there there are things that I'll just um I will arrange in my schedule so that I don't have to do them until Mercury is direct again. Oh yeah. And a totally. lot of times, you know, sometimes okay, so there are the mandatory adventures like the one I just had. Right. But then I also see um which we call optional adventures yeah. where someone's yeah. like no, I'm really pushing to get this blank out like a mercury thing a book a podcast a you know a piece of writing and they're like oh i really want to get it out um by the you know in the middle of the writer you know in the middle of this retrograde and it doesn't really have to come out there and then they'll they'll end up being delays or they're not happy with it and it doesn't actually get done until the end of the retrograde anyway right and so if you have the option just just actually position it at the end of the retrograde um, I've seen, um, you know, because I play video games, that I see a lot of video game releases like that on Steam, mm. where there'll be a game that comes out like right around the station, and they spend the next three weeks doing constant patches on it because it wasn't quite ready, and everybody gets mad in the reviews, and it's like, just was it? Would it really have been worse to just wait a couple weeks? Yeah, um, I'm totally. And so, you know, if you're looking at an optional adventure like that, you know, just just take the hit and like do it a few little bit later if it's not going to ruin everything. Right. Yeah, I totally am on the same page about that. Um and Christina Cothill in the chat, we have a live chat with patrons who are attending the live recording of this episode as a patron benefit and she says what about the conjunction with the sun? Good time if you must. And yeah, actually honestly, I always find that halfway through the retrograde cycle when the retrograde mercury conjoins the sun, which is the halfway point of the mercury retrograde, that that really is like an important turning point in the retrograde phase. And oftentimes, a lot of the more negative or problematic things that we often associate with the retrograde start to quickly dissipate after that point. So that if you have to like do it somewhere within the retrograde cycle, if you can get it more towards that conjunction, that might be a good idea. Yeah, after, um, then or after. I mean, the, the thing is, people talk about that Kazemi point and its, its value or, you know, it being special. And it is special, but, um, it's much better for clarity of action and interior clarity than it is like a super good election to to do things. 
Like, it's not a great time to send out a letter. It is a good time to write something. Like, your mm-hmm. writing will be better that day, most likely. Mm-hmm. But it's not as good, I've because I've tested this for years. Because I was like, so it's good, but how is it good and why is it good? Um, so, I don't know. Um, no, I think I, I agree with what you're saying, Austin. And I think symbolically it's very congruent because... When a planet is Kazemi, yes, it's it's in the heart of the sun. It's the oasis part of the combustion period, but it's still an invisible sort of thing. It's still working in the ant- intangible realm or the unseen realm. So it's not so good necessarily maybe for making manifest physical things or, like you said, the sending of the letter, but something about pulling things out from the others, um, whether that's writing down your ideas or um, – there's sort of this reflective process, if you like, that it can bring clarity to that. Yeah, yeah. I find like as far, yeah, for writing, I I find it's great. For just thinking and, you know, clarity about recent events, it's really good. It's also worth differentiating the retrograde Kazemi, which we're talking about, with um, the Kazemi, which happens when Mercury is direct, right? Because uh, you can have a direct one and a retrograde one. The direct ones seem to be pretty good. Um, they don't seem or they, they seem to be noticeably better for external things. Um, but still, but I would still prefer the planet visible and in a good sign and all that. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, and it's one thing that's worth noting is after the uh, Mercury sun conjunction or when it's retrograde, the planet Mercury in this case is um, every day leaving combustion. The combustion is getting less intense. Right. right. And uh, whereas on the way in, it's getting more and more burnt up. Yeah, that's a really mm. great point. So it's falling into the beams after it first stations retrograde and it's like falling almost like gravity from the sun is like, you know, attracting it or dragging it into the sun's beams. But when it makes that conjunction, when it's retrograde with the sun, everything after that point is it sort of escaping gradually the rays of the sun? Yeah, like every day it's better. So, sure. you know. And this really works. I noticed, um, I mean, I've known this for a long time, but I noticed it in a lot of people's lives recently as I was tracking the Venus retrograde that that uh, Sun-Venus conjunction when Venus was retrograde really was the middle point in the cycle and really was a turning point where some people realized something, whatever that Venus retrograde cycle was keyed into or was connected to for them. um, It seems like a lot of people had a, a moment of sort of understanding or clarity when they started realizing what needed to be done at that point. And then now that we're almost at the very end of it here in mid-November with Venus getting ready to station, the final like conclusion of that is starting to take place. Yeah. Well, and Venus stations in about, looks like 20 some, no, about 30 hours from now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a really, uh, it was it was an example of that with a, a family member of mine. My mom had her dog has been sick and doing like really not well for like a very long time. He's like lost his eyesight. He's losing his ear sight. He has really bad. Um, I'm forgetting the term, um, but a lot of health problems. And this Venus retrograde went retrograde in her sixth, and she realized mm. that he had to be put down, I guess, because he was in such bad shape that he was just like suffering basically every day. And it was like an act of sort of mercy or something at that point. But um, I was asking her, she she made the realization that that had to happen at the Sun-Venus conjunction. And she didn't know, like she's not paying attention to the astrology, but I'm just listening as I'm hearing her talk about that. And 
then she said at the end of the conversation that the dog was 16 years old, which meant, and then I inquired about the dates, and she said he would have been born sometime in late 2002. So he was born under the same retrograde cycle um, to, you know, two retrograde or eight year increments ago. Wow. Mm, That's great. Or that's not great, but that's, that is an excellent example. And for people who aren't um, aware, the sixth is the traditional house of pets. Right. And sometimes that's like very literal. And it's weird because sometimes astrologers can brush that off and just be like, you know, that's not important. But some for for some people, like having a pet in your life is actually a very, very important relationship. And that things, important developments in that relationship can show up in um, your chart, um, especially with respect to the sixth house. Absolutely. I'm a um, pet parent. I've got three cats. Yes, I'm totally a crazy cat lady. Um, Although I say one of the cats belongs to my husband. But anyway, because she does. Um, We got her as soon as she's a black cat and we adopted her like two days after Saturn moved into Scorpio. And my husband is the super Scorpio in in the family. So she's definitely his girl. But um, when Jupiter was going through my sixth house a few years ago, I cannot believe the amount of money I spent on pet bills in that oh, no. 12 month period. Um, it was nothing life threatening. It was like dental surgeries and medication for this or that. Um, but it was just like, oh my God, outrageous. So yeah, I, I think it's a good point you're saying there, Austin, uh, Chris, sorry, is that like the sixth house is about pets. So don't f- like, it's not maybe the topic that first comes to mind when we think about the sixth house, but mm. it's still a, an important topic um, to keep in the back of our, our minds. Yeah, it definitely can be. And sometimes things like that can be very literal. Sometimes when you have transits to specific houses and the people um, or, or other things that those represent in your life, uh, you know, obviously sometimes there's an emotional or there's a psychological component, but also sometimes there's a very literal component to it as well. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that that worked out. You've got like a Mercury retrograde success story. Uh, we're Ugh. still, I hope that's not premature to say, I guess by the time we release this episode, you'll be in Australia having a great time later yeah. this month. Yep. Well, and you know, what's interesting about the, you know, my brief trial here was that the, uh, I needed the passport to do things that were scheduled while Mercury was retrograde, right? Like the pre-retrograde problem solving were, were, you know, that was for while Mercury was retrograde stuff. Right. Right. So the precursor, like if it didn't happen, the letdown or the problem would have, you know, would have been next week. So. Right. Cool. Well, good luck on your trip this month. Uh, We look forward to having a report next month when we do our forecast in December for the entire year ahead. And maybe you can let us know how it went. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I expect uh, great fun. I, you know, um, I don't mind a little getting lost, you know, that's part of, we've scheduled some time to just kind of hang out and explore. So that might be really nice. Looking forward to, to Mercury conjoining, retrograding back to conjoin Jupiter and then conjoining Jupiter again. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of that over the course of the next few weeks. Um, Kelly, what have you been up to since we last checked in actually pretty recently for the last forecast? (laughs) Yeah, we did speak just recently, the three of us. You've basically Uh, been recording a lot of podcasts. Yes, I've been talking a lot. I've had my um, speaking tour of the internet going on. So I have started a new little podcast with two girlfriends where we're just getting together for a really short update each week. 
and that's called the Water Trio Podcast. Apparently, we are on iTunes and SoundCloud. That is not my task in the uh, in the group, uh, but the Scorpio part of the Water Trio, Alicia, has got that together. We've also got a couple of episodes on YouTube, um, and we're just getting you know ironing out all the bugs. Uh, but we should be. I think by the time this episode goes live, that should be running smoothly. And then I'm, I'm, also mean, just I'm a little, to, yeah. I'm a little uh, jealous because I thought we were the water trio. I mean, we were, we have a pretty <laughs> good. What the hell, Kelly? Yeah, grand trine Look, of water we, placements. We do have the three of us. Yeah, me and me and you two gentlemen, who I'm very honoured to share microphone space with. Um, Alicia and Cassandra and I have called ourselves the water trio for about 15 years. Okay. So I think they might edge you guys on longevity. Um, and we've got sun signs that all form um, basically an exact within a couple of degrees water trine. Yeah, we're, um, we're more the two Pisces and Chris podcast. I feel like we're the Pisces Scorpio podcast right. here. Two Pisces I know and a Scorpio walk into a bar. And- correct. Just make sure the bar has a lot of alcohol, I think. Um, so can um, people search find that by just searching Water Trio podcast or what's the exact? Yes. Yeah. yeah, the Water Trio podcast. We tried to come up with a catchy kind of slogan or phrase, but that that ability escaped us. Um, so we just went with the Water Trio. And uh, yeah, it's just three women um, having a chat about astrology for the week. Basically, we get together, we each pick one aspect for the week, and then we just talk about it for 30 minutes and that's it. Um, so it's kind of a quick look at the week ahead. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll put a link to that in the description page for this episode on the Astrology Podcast website so people can find it directly. Thank you so much. Yeah, I can find the link. <laughs> I can do that part. Yeah. Well, I'm ser- it's so new that I'm searching for it and I'm having trouble finding it. So I just want to make sure people get there uh, where you have it up. Yes, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, that's been... Um, and I'm like, one of, my, one of them, because we, we have this WhatsApp chat, the three of us, and one of them was like, yeah, you, you're doing a few things. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's all this Jupiter Sag action. So just giving things a, a bit of a crack. Um, and then just teaching my relationship astrology that close um, that's been going on as well. So, um, yeah. Awesome. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah. Keeping out of trouble. Very- I haven't had any mishaps yet. I mean, I might have had one like Austin, but I don't know about it yet. So can stay in the unknown. Um, and did you have any Austin and I ended up doing the cusps episode together because you were lecturing like at the exact same time that day but did you have any thoughts on cusps that you felt like sharing um, just in general well it's funny I know I was kind of um, I intended to listen to that episode before we spoke today which unfortunately I didn't get a chance to but of course almost every client that I've had this week has had like 29 degrees sun placement or zero degrees something so it's like you guys have been coming through in my consulting room. Okay. Um, so it's really, I, I don't know if I have any clear opinions to share, but you, just knowing you guys have done an episode and this is making me think more about it and also because I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Um, but it was this, and funnily enough, one of the clients who's got a 29 degree son, she basically said that she thought she was, you know, the next sign around and has only just found out she's actually the previous sign. Oh, wow. So she's kind of like, because, you know, if you if you are born on a cusp date and you've never actually looked at your chart, you can quite likely be spending years thinking you're actually the wrong sign. Right. Um, and that's quite a head shift, I think, to get your head around. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably really the origins of the whole modern cusp phenomenon is just people learning 
you know, you learn about sun signs first, but then there's those people right on the border, and then those people on the border have the question of what does that mean, and not does it mean that I'm one or the other, or or does it mean that I'm both, or or what is it? And some of the modern reactions to that that have happened as people try to grapple with that that question. A hundred percent. And I think I think the three of us had a little chat off air somewhere about this. And I remember um, I said something like, "Planets at twenty nine degrees sometimes feel really hungry." Mm-hmm. Where it's like they can, especially if there's a big change in dignity when they change signs, they can have an impatience or a never enough. Like they can't get as filled up as they want to, or as they can kind of anticipate they might be able to be. So like um, off the top of my head, like Mars at 29 Libra, for instance, that's going to have a massive dignity change when it moves out of Libra and into Scorpio. So it can be really hungry or restless or never satisfied, I think, for planets at 29 degrees. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, my whole thing, because this actually ties into the other discussion topic I wanted to have pre-forecast, is just I think um, while I understand some of this, because what's happening is that some pop astrology websites are saying cusps mean you're both, and then they're blending the signs completely. And there's some astrologers that are pushing back against that and saying that's not true, and that you're not both, you're one or the other, that mathematically it's going to fall in one sign or the other. But I almost felt like the pushback against that was almost like too strong, and people were being like overly dogmatic about saying cusps aren't real or or other things like that. And I just wanted to have a more nuanced discussion, and that's what Austin and I ended up doing in order to sort of explore that issue and look at both sides in terms of some of the different possibilities. Yeah, it's a really good thing that I'm glad you guys gave some airtime to because it does create a lot of confusion. You know, it doesn't matter to most people because most of us have most of our planets like nicely in the sign. But, you know, it there's a transition point, you know, the 29th degree, the zero degree, it's, it's new or different. Sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to your uh, reflections on, on the conversation we had because we, we, we both dug up a lot of really good stuff, a bunch of textual references from all over. Um, and there's a surprising diversity of opinion in the traditional literature. Mm. Yeah, I feel like you guys would have done a great treatment of this. Like you've almost basically done a research project that we all get to benefit from. Yeah, a little bit, but it, it ties into this separate sort of discussion I want to have before we get into the forecast, uh, which is there's this fine balance between, I've noticed in terms of an individual astrologer's careers and maybe just looking at the community in general, as well as reflections on my own evolution or growth as an astrologer, where there's this fine balance between sometimes taking astrology seriously and wanting um, other people to take astrology seriously and to the, the desire, especially if you're a professional or practicing astrologer, to want it to become a more respectful, re- respectable field in the world in general versus um, also at the same time being able to balance still having some levity about it to have a, a sort of approach where you can encompass and sort of be open to some of the diversity of different approaches to astrology and different techniques, but also different, you know, interest levels or skill levels, and how to balance those two. Um, because we were, we were talking before the show about how I feel like sometimes people, especially younger astrologers, go through a transition phase where they they move from sun signs to discovering natal astrology and like full-fledged astrology. And sometimes they get very serious about it, but sometimes they get 
some people go through a stage of being like almost too serious about it where they get sort of annoyed about people that are not taking it as seriously or they go through a, a sort of dogmatic phase of wanting to tell other people like what's correct or what's not correct when it comes to astrology. Um, and I, I feel like I say that partially as somebody who went through different phases like that at different points myself, but it's interesting to me to see people and to sort of reflect on that when I observe it happening in different forms in the community today. Uh, Kelly, you said you went through some similar sort of phase? Yeah, when I first was getting into astrology, I mean, I obviously I had drunk the astrological Kool-Aid and I was incredibly passionate and enthusiastic about you know, why astrology was amazing and the right ways to do it. And I mean, even some of the early teaching that I shared in, you know, my very first like small group, you know, where I might've had three students or something. And I'd be like, no, this is absolutely like this and this. And, um, you know, and then your, your understanding of astrology kind of evolves. And I know for me, as I got more comfortable in it and more maybe secure in my knowledge of the craft, not in an egotistical way, just not not like I know everything, but more like I, I really know this piece that I'm working with. I became more open to nuance and certainly less kind of rigid or dogmatic around trying to make everyone else do it the, you know, the way that I might have thought was was the way or the way I'd been um taught. So I think it, it's funny because now I see this, it, it comes from a very genuine place of like huge enthusiasm and passion for astrology. Right. And I see this now in other people when they're getting started, that it can be very much like this is the exact way to do this specific thing. And it's like, well, I'm not sure that's the case, but I totally love the enthusiasm that you're bringing to this debate, basically. Right. Yeah. Or I see it, um, I've seen it a few times recently in like fresh converts to traditional astrology. So, and there's actually like a phrase for that I think in Christianity where they call it the passion of the convert, which is like there's nobody right. no pa more passion about something than somebody that's like just switched from one thing to another and part of that process sometimes is overdoing it occasionally and like going too far in trying to uh, I I mean to me I I'm reflecting on it cuz I find it tremendously annoying to see a freshly converted traditional astrologer, almost like patronizing modern astrologers and trying to dictate to them what is correct or what is not correct in astrology. Because even in the instances where I agree in some instances with what they're trying to say or what they're trying to convey, there can be this sort of dogmatic or this arrogant sort of attitude that's sometimes adopted that's unnecessary or or is not coming from like a great place necessarily, even if they're attempt is actually coming from excitement or is very genuine, as you said, Kelly? Yeah. it's. I think it's just working on that delivery, which is something that you do figure out over time for sure. Sure. Did you ever, Austin, you said your transition to traditional was much more gradual or wasn't like- No, rocking. not really. Um, no, it was pretty. <laughs> it was pretty like black and white. I mean, was it at the Project Hindsight thing or? Yeah, it was. Okay. You know, yeah. Um, it took. You know, it. It. What was gradual was getting comfortable with tech with the techniques and being able to actually see the chart that way and all that. But mm -hmm. my, you know, my orientation switched. You know, pretty quickly. And yeah, I was super condescending to uh, to people. You know, because I was sort of like I found the better thing that right. nobody knows about, and so yeah, I was really annoying. I mean, because that's why you switch because you think you've found something better. And this also happens, yeah. by the way, it's not just like modern astrologers going to traditional Western astrology, but you see it also sometimes when somebody goes from like modern Western to Vedic astrology, mm -hmm. um, or sometimes even occasionally it's like modern Western to like Uranian or cosmobiology or something like that. 
Um, it's because you think you've found something better, or you, your skills perhaps actually have improved by learning this like new knowledge. And then sometimes you want to turn around and try to like convince other people or convert other people to follow that path that you've followed. Yeah, well, I think that by definition, if you've been doing one thing for a while and you know how to do it, and you learn how to do another thing, then by definition, you know more than you used to, and right. you know more than just the thing that you've you've been doing. Um, and yeah, I think there it is a uh, how should we say like a, a mistake of excitement and wanting to share and be like, no, there's more. I know that I feel that way, you know, with technical distinctions. I'm like, yeah, but what about this? You need to add this to it, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, it's easy to, I don't know, communicate poorly or to just be taken by your own enthusiasm. And sometimes when you're when a new lens is clicking into place, you you know, you're putting a lot of energy into seeing things from that angle and using those techniques. And, you know, you kind of, you know, you're, you're so invested in that, that you, it's easy to forget the value of what you were, you know, what you previously knew. I've had a little bit of that this year, um, you know, spending so much time with Vedic. There've been a few times where I was like, I was so excited about what I could see with the Vedic techniques that I was sort of like, oh, maybe what I've been doing isn't very awesome. And then I would, I would do a reading with the techniques I've been using for a decade. And I was like, oh no, this is awesome too. Um, and I would be reminded of the value of, you know, what I've already done, but I, you know, I found it distracting. I was like, oh yeah, no, this is, this is new and this is amazing. And I've never been able to look for and find exactly this kind of thing before. But so, you know, it happens. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a necessary process to go out on that journey into and maybe fully adopt and fully dive into some approach or some technique or something and to fully embrace that and learn it. And even sometimes that involves rejecting or forgetting about things that you originally learned or thought were true as you you envelop yourself in that and embrace it but then eventually i feel like at some point you you end up coming around full circle and seeing that there may have still been some value to the other approaches or to your original one um i, I don't know and i think i feel like i see a lot of astrologers like that do that full circle thing but it's interesting observing somebody that's still very early on in that process i guess yeah, it's it's almost like a critical step on the journey, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. is to be swept up by your passion or your enthusiasm for something so that like you guys were talking about, like the enthusiasm of a new convert, it's it carries you through some of that, um, those nervous early waters or early stages, if you like. Right. Um, so the other side of that is sometimes that I get annoyed about when I see it is like antagonism against, let's say, pop astrology or quote unquote, like so-called low, lower forms of astrology from more established either practitioners or from students of astrology that are getting into more advanced forms where, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, this would be the, you know, let's hate on sun signs because that's not real astrology thing once you've learned about birth charts, because obviously, once you get into birth charts, you realize that astrology is actually very complicated and sun sign astrology is somewhat simplistic in its presentation of what astrology is and what it can do. Um, but even more recently, I see that now that the level of the astrological discourse is starting to be raised in the general populace and people now, it's more common to know about your sun, moon, and rising, sometimes even that is sometimes met with like scorn from 
astrologers that are a little bit more advanced that are saying that that's too simplistic or that's not all there is or something like that? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting because there are different stages that students go through. And one of the first stages when you cross into kind of real birth chart astrology is to focus on that sun, moon and ascendant. So in some ways, I think there's got to be a little give and take for where people are at or where they're coming from versus that expectation that everybody is where you're going to be, if that makes sense. Right, exactly. Um, and, and I mean, to me, I'm just so, because this whole discussion came up because what happened was last night, there's like one guy that posted his picture and like his rising or his sun, moon and rising on Reddit. And then within a few hours, like a few other people started doing it and it snowballed like immediately. And suddenly there's like a hundred people posting their picture and their sun, moon and rising all over the front page of the astrology subreddit, which is our astrology on Reddit. And this has never happened before. Um, it's common on Twitter. Like you see this all the all the time on like astrology accounts on Twitter of people starting a thread that says, "Post your sun, moon, rising in your picture," and it's kind of interesting to see how many young people are doing it. But this was kind of like a, a sudden dramatic occurrence that's never happened on that subreddit before, and I thought it was kind of like interesting and endearing to see how many younger people know their rising sign. And are into it on that level at this stage. And I was kind of fascinated by it and thought it was cool almost purely for that reason. But there by the morning time, there was this huge pushback of people saying, you know, oh, I'm not I'm not gonna subscribe to this subreddit anymore because it's just low-level astrology and everyone's just concerned with their their self or it's egocentric or something like that. And they were very put off by it because they felt like the type of astrology that they were doing is so much higher or or sort of better than that on some level. So it just comes to like those early student stages sometimes, but sometimes I just notice there's this negativity towards pop astrology that's sort of unnecessary. And I feel like most of the time with more advanced astrologers that have been around the field for long enough, they understand the role that that plays in the community, that they don't have the same sort of like animosity towards it. Yeah. I mean, I don't have animosity towards it. I'm really enthusiastic because to me, seeing people talk about some of those maybe more starting point features is a real clue that our astrological community is growing. And that is just such good news on so many fronts for all of us. Yeah. I mean, that sounds fun to me, but I could also see how if you were looking for like a sophisticated technical conversation that selfies might be irritating. Oh yeah, I can I can totally see, and I could see if I was still in my like early twenties or late teens, I would have been the first one that would have been railing against all of the lame like selfie posting when we should be talking about how we've just discovered <laughs> these two thousand year old techniques that can like pr predict a person's like future and destiny like fifty years in advance, and we're using it for like you know appearance or character analysis or something like that. Um, I guess I'm just reflecting on my own process as an astrologer and growth as an astrologer over the years. And I see some people taking astrology very seriously and sometimes not taking a moment to just reflect on or appreciate that it is actually becoming more popular. And and the fact that, like, you know, 10 years ago, if you asked a bunch of people in their 20s to post their sun, moon, and rising, they wouldn't know what that is. Okay. And just the fact no. that there's so many more younger people that know that at this point, that's exciting to me and, and is something worth celebrating and sort of embracing rather than saying that it's not good enough or something like that. 
Yeah. And I think like to Austin's point too, it is then about, you know, gravitating towards people who are in the same space or wanting to have the same kinds of conversations at you as you are at, at that same time, I guess. Sure. Um, I mean, then you can that. do that, but then also that's kind of sad to me sometimes if more advanced astrologers wall themselves off from that larger discussion or never engage in I don't know the the more um, lighthearted sort of uh, manifestations of astrology. That there's a wide different di- sort of diversity of different ways that astrologers or people use and incorporate astrology into their life in ways that are often very beautiful and very interesting, even if it's not necessarily your cup of tea. Um, so I almost don't want astrologers to just like wall themselves off by going into closed communities where. They only see that specific type of astrology and they only interact with astrologers that are doing it at that same level necessarily. Yeah, the cross pollination is important. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, but like, um, you know, if, if you, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, like Chris, if you and I were hanging out with a group of people who were, you know, at sun, you know, in the sun moon rising space and we started talking about, I don't know, some, you know, a, uh, absurd, absurdly technical, obscure thing. Like we started talking about the mechanics of zodiacal rising and this and that. Right. Everybody's eyes would glaze over. Like there's not, there's, there's not that much cross pollination that can happen there. They're not going to be like the person who's just gotten their sun moon rising isn't going to give us an amazing insight into how that technique works on the third level periods. And unless we want to sit down and explain for about two hours how the technique works, they're not going to get anything from our discussion. Yeah, you know, totally. it's like you know, the, the, like there's a reason that like the popular physicists like Neil deGrasse Tyson don't talk about physics. They you know they just talk about ideas. They don't like sit down and go through the math. Um, of how we got this, you know, why we think there's a black hole here, and you know we're you know it's boring if you're not, you know, if you're not that deep, it's boring. Um, and you know, I'm not going to be able to tell a theoretical physicist much about the equations that he, that he or she is, or they are looking at, you know? And so some quote unquote segregation or, um, you know, selection into different little communities is inevitable and useful because it's not fun or interesting, um, when you're in very different places. And I wouldn't see that as necessarily a problem, but it seems like, on Reddit, for example, or on uh, Twitter, you know, we have these sort of shared public spaces where it's all kind of one amorphous thing where right. some people are trying to have, you know, one kind of discussion and other people are trying to have a different discussion, but it's all astrology. So it kind of gets mashed up together. Right. Yeah, that's true. And, and it would be weird if we were having a conversation about some advanced timing technique and somebody came up and started talking to us about their sun sign or something like that, or occasionally like you know a newer astrologer if they try to present you with like their birth chart and ask you to read it just like as a cold cold call or cold reading or something like that um so that's a fair point i don't know where else to go with that that's pretty much the end of that that thought it's yeah i mean we've aired some good points i think it's just part of the broader um thing that I've tried to have with the podcast, which is an outgrowth of my experience going through Kepler and being exposed to so many approaches to astrology, which is how to create a space that allows astrology to flourish in all these different manifestations, which doesn't just mean different techniques, but it also can mean different skill levels and different um, interest levels. 
And I don't know, there's just something about that in the community because it also matters in terms of when new people are coming into the community, what are they met with? Are they met with open arms and like people that embrace them? Or are they met with people that say, your knowledge of astrology or approach to it is not good enough because it doesn't accurately reflect my approach or my skill level? And um, I'd prefer people not to be met with the latter because I think more people would be turned away in that sense or with that approach. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I know for me, that's where I'm going to try and be welcoming and curious. Oh, you're new, you know, and you might use the sun, moon, whatever, ascendant as an icebreaker. And then if I want to pick someone's brain about a really intense technique, I'll just kind of try and corner them privately and <laughs> ask them 200 questions probably. <laughs> right. Sure. All right. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that's pretty much it in terms of pre-show discussion. Um, so why don't we make a transition now and get into the forecast for, for December? Let's do it. I believe there was no bingo for that one. Was there? There's not, not well, any. One, one of the slides was pre-show talk over an hour, and I think we came in just under an hour there. <laughs> yeah, 40, 49 minutes, 48 minutes. Although that's actually... do we do we want to give the shout out to Lisa for creating the bingo because we said we would touch on it um, on the forecast show? Oh yeah, we mentioned it on the um, other one, but we did want to mention on the forecast. Um, let me find the link while one of you talks about it because I wanted to see if I could share the video. Okay, cool. So one of our listeners, Lisa on Twitter, has created this fun and fabulous bingo card that my husband thinks should be printed off for the next live audience to actually play bingo of, I guess, common things that we say all the time or reference all the time in the show. And uh, it was quite funny. Chris is going to find it for us. Did you think it was funny, Austin? I thought it was very funny. Yeah. Things like Kelly trying to say something preposterously, like something exceptionally positive about something preposterously hard. And I was like, yep, do that all the time. Yep. Austin making a dark metaphor. Yeah, Austin makes a dark metaphor. <laughs> uh, yeah, pre-show longer than one hour. Yes, um, yes. Dig uh, conversational digression leads to an idea for a new podcast. That was brilliant. I was like, I wonder, I because you don't realize sometimes how many times those things get said, but I guess the listeners who are taking it in, you know, in a different way. Um, get it. Oh, yeah, this is great. Accidentally this. skipping over a lunation. I thought that was exceptional because we always forget a new or a full moon. Yeah, I, I respond. Chris responds to a lengthy pronouncement with all right, so. <laughs> that was very good. Um, yeah, and then long digression. Yeah, and then I think I've been sharing more about my chart, so that's probably going to like make that bingo square easier. Right. Quickly quashed reference to Kelly's natal chart. <laughs> but, but, bottom right corner, thinly veiled dirty jokes, which is Austin and Kelly's forte. <laughs> um, Kelly finds- Chris, are you trying to pretend you're really innocent here? A, a little bit, but at least in terms of <laughs> you guys making jokes, especially before we were recording here, uh, I've got to sometimes try to keep keep you two on the straight and narrow. Yes, you do a good job. I do what I can. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's PG-13 at the worst. Right. At the worst, yeah. This is definitely not <laughs> full capacity. Yeah, but anyway, so thanks to it's Lisa brilliant. for making that. It's really awesome. Um, I retweeted it on the Astrology Podcast Twitter account, and then you could find uh, Lisa's account there as well, if that's probably the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Cool. So that was fun. 
I don't know. It was just kind of cool. Uh, I've I've never okay. been a bingo card. I've never been part of a bingo card before. <laughs> no. That I know uh, of. <laughs> yeah. If anybody, anyway, we lo- we all loved that. If anybody makes stuff like that, let us know. Especially through Twitter, that's the easiest way. Or send it in, and I'll probably retweet it because it's always fun to see stuff like that. Um, and Christina's Absolutely. mentioning. Thanks for me- mentioning that, Christina, uh, in the chat. Uh, she asked when I'll release the 2019 planetary retrograde calendars. So I wasn't sure if I was going to do posters again this year, but I actually decided to, I think. So we're trying to finalize the design, and the designs have actually taken a little bit longer than I had anticipated, but I'm trying to finalize them and get things printed up now. So I actually did want to share a preview of one of the posters. So here is a preview of one of the posters, which I'm calling Planetary Alignments 2019. Um, so I'm, I'm doing the final proofs, and I just te- did a test print um, a few days ago, and it came out really well. So I'm hoping to have these printed up soon. There's also going to be a 2019 version of the Planetary Movements calendar, which is like the circular calendar that shows you where the planets will start at the beginning of the year and where they'll end, as well as what signs of the zodiac they'll retrograde through if they do go retrograde during the course of the year. And then we're going to release that, I think, in a package with one other poster, which is a really nice, high-quality um, depiction of the zodiac, like a poster of the the twelve signs of the zodiac and their planetary rulers, which is the same image that we used in the recent zodiac series for part one and part two when we went through the meanings of all, all twelve signs. So this yeah. is really pretty, Chris. I like. Uh... It's distinctly different from what you have done in the past, like the the font and the color scheme. I I, I think it's much prettier. My Venus was all over it. Um, we, we, I loved it. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, we Paula did most of the the design, Paula Bellomini, and then we had the background. The background is actually a commissioned piece from uh, Jack Cusimano. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Who is an astrologer, but he also does. Um, animation as his part of his his background career as well. Um, he's wow. he's an animator on, on a lot of really big shows, but he actually did this amazing illustration for us for the background. So I'm pretty excited because it it looks it looks nice here, but it actually looks even more brilliant in print when it's on the actual poster. So hopefully by sometime in December, hopefully by the next forecast episode, I'll be able to make an announcement about um, ordering those or where they're they'll be available and stuff like that. Excellent. So this is a teaser. This is like, yeah. you know, save the date. They're coming. Give us a few weeks, and then you'll have shipping info and ordering info. Exactly. So I'll release okay. that through the podcast website. Patrons, of course, will find out about it, you know, right away first. But I'll probably make some announcements during the episodes in December once I get it together and I'm ready to do. I mean, last year shipping those out was just crazy. So I'm not necessarily looking forward to that again. But I'm hoping to figure something out in the next few weeks. Excellent. Yeah, I'm excited. That looks beautiful. All right. Awesome. Well, let's um transition to the forecast then since we're now 56 minutes in, so we're about to fill in one of Lisa's bingo squares if we were if we we uh delay any longer. So, um let me pull the chart up for December and share it with you guys for those that are watching the video version. All right. So, this is actually technically the chart for right now. But let's move it forward to the 1st of December. All right, so December 1st, 2018. 
move it towards the middle of the day with Aquarius rising. And here we are. So first, one of the things I want to say finally, because we're just about to move out of this tomorrow, the day after we record this, um, Mars is finally out of Aquarius. It's been there for what seems like approximately a, de a decade at this point. I think it's yeah. four months total this year. Is it really only four months? It's it seemed like five or six. I feel like it was five. I think it's almost but... exactly four, but we can okay. we can check it. You know, there was the um, there was also there were two solid months of Mars and Capricorn too. Okay, yeah. actually, right, no, there was, was... Th oh, maybe there were even three. Three. I think there were yeah. two four. of Mars and Capricorn, and then I'm going with five months. Okay, yeah. Well, because only... Mars went into Aquarius like mid-May, right? Yep. And it was in Aquarius until like the 13th of August. Yeah, May 16th, Mars first went June, into Aquarius. July. So that's three months. And then it went back into Aquarius on like the 11th of September. Right. And it doesn't leave until the 16th of November. Okay, right. yeah. That's, uh, that's uh, yeah, that's five. Five. It's five Ooh. out of like the last six months. Well, right. and then and then three in Capricorn, so not a lot of variety. Right. All Saturn ruled. All Saturn ruled since like March. Yep. Which all which is time. just bizarre because now it's going to spend like a month in Pisces and then it's done. So it's going to go into Pisces November fifteenth and it's out already and into Aries by December thirty first. And it's still six weeks. Yeah, and it's still moving kind of slow. I think I don't even think it's back to full speed yet by that time. That is it? That's about normal. Six weeks is pretty standard, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, been, yeah. Because it... I mean, it's been out of it's been direct since um, the the end of August, so it's been yeah it's slowly been picking up speed. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, so yeah, we're that's a big shift then in terms of just what the past several months have been like, especially if if Aquarius is prominent in your chart, either natally or. If it's been made prominent over the course of the past few months through some timing <laughs> technique like perfections, yeah, what just, it's just the grind. I'm just I'm chuckling because um, in in the consulting room I've seen with clients like whatever house they've had Aquarius in, it's been a grind. Whether it's been necessarily, it's the combination of the Mars and the South Node there. It's there's been a lot more stress or anxiety about the topics of the house that have have been Aquarian, right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's did been... you guys see any specific like manifestations of that that spring to mind? I mean, I saw a lot with people who have Aquarius 8th and 12th houses having a lot more mental health issues or stress or anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, things getting exacerbated or getting worse. Um, yeah, that seemed to be the most common thing. I don't know if you have anything more specific, Austin. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Nothing more specific. I think that uh, I find that Mars in air signs, um, generally, um, is great for anxiety. Um, if you have a propensity towards that, Mars, as I do, Mars in air signs tends to exaggerate that. And then with the extended retrograde stay and the co presence with the south node and all that, there's just been a ton of that. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that I'm like, oh, Mars in Pisces is amazing. It's just different. And I just feel like I'm, I would just like something to be not Mars in Aquarius or not Mars in a Saturn sign. Yeah. It's it, five minutes. It's just bizarre for it to be, for Mars of, of all planets to be just sitting that somewhere for so long. Because Mars. Well, yeah, he spent, 
he spent five months there when normally he spends six weeks. That's yeah. Just and even just a like massive emphasis, even just energetically, like Mars is usually like quick, sudden things. Yes. Even when it's negative, it's like something that happens fast and happens suddenly or unexpectedly. And that's what's so such an anomaly about the retrograde period is it's just like sitting on some part of your chart for a very long time. Yeah, Mars has the greatest difference in speed at different parts of its cycle. No other planet go, you know, has that much of a difference, right? Because Mars is, you know, basically it, Mars basically becomes Saturn uh, <laughs> during part of the cycle, and right. then you know, and then starts zipping along again. Yeah. So, yeah. looking at the chart, I mean, that's one of the big things that I notice right away. Um, of course, we're also now getting more firmly into Jupiter and Sagittarius at this point. It starts out out at the beginning of the month. It's already at five degrees of Sagittarius. So this is, you know, our first full full month of Jupiter and Sagittarius. Even though we had most of November with that as well. Let's see what else is going on. We're about to hit the tail end of Venus. It looks like Venus starts out December first at twenty nine Libra, and it's about to make its way back into Scorpio. So we're at the very tail end of all of the Venus retrograde stuff. Finally, at the beginning of the month. Yeah, the uh, within the first couple of days of the month, um, Venus returns to Scorpio and Mercury returns to Sag. Both of them, um, you know, uh, sorry, beg your pardon. Mercury slips back into Scorpio. I beg your pardon. Um, that's on the first, I think, and Venus comes back into Scorpio moving forward now. Um, and so it's sort of an interesting shift with those two planets. Venus is going to spend most of the month in Scorpio, so we do have. Venus and Mars both in water signs for the month of December, primarily for the most part. Um, so that's a bit of an interesting thing to keep in the back of our minds. What um, degree did Venus station retrograde at again? Ten. Nine. Ten. Austin Gold Star. Bingo. Ten. Austin. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like Venus makes it back to ten degrees Scorpio around December seventeenth. So that's when Venus will actually leave. The, the yes, her shadow sort of post retrograde shadow phase, and that retrograde period will be more or less completely over at that point. Yeah, and Venus is nice and high uh, in the eastern sky by that point. In the pre dawn sky, um, you know, we're back to <laughs> a normal Venus rather than the you know the sewer ordeal Venus. And yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, you know, there are some of those themes just with Venus and Scorpio, but this is a this is a Venus that is literally rising higher in the sky mm. every morning and getting brighter every morning. And so it's dealing with the same, it's going to be dealing with the same degrees and therefore some of the same themes and material, but it's about elevating it rather than sinking down to the nadir, to getting to the bottom of it. You know, there's, there's a very literal verticality to Venus's cycle. And the retrograde portion was the sinking down, getting to the bottom of it. And this is, again, this is the same space, but it's rising up and perhaps pulling some of it up or just rising above the things that pulled you down before. Brilliant. Totally. So so we're going to be able to go out in the mornings here for, for a few weeks or a few months. And if you look out before sunrise, you'll see this really bright sort of whitish star rising over the eastern horizon not too long, maybe an hour or two before the sun does, and that's actually going to be Venus. Yeah. 
Yeah, I always say when you're looking to spot Venus in the sky, she looks like the twinkle, twinkle little star. She looks like that sparkly, very bright light that we imagine all the stars look like, but of course they don't. Um, and she's, she's you know, in the, the morning star Venus is more of an independent style of Venus. So I think as that, as you're saying, Austin, like Venus is rising in the sky. So there's an increasing sort of energy here. But I wonder if there's something there around like gaining confidence or gaining independence um, just from that phase relationship that Venus has got there. Yeah, definitely. It's also um, the morning Venus is more assertive. Mm. It's going at, you know, it's the, the passion to do what you're going to do. Right. Um, Like evening Venus is more cooperative partnership. What do you think? Whereas, you know, uh, morning Venus. Uh, and so, you know, in some of the old texts, they say, okay, so morning Venus is relatively masculine and evening Venus is relatively feminine. Um, yes. and what they're saying with those terms is, you know, assertive, uh, self-oriented and using that Venusian energy to shine, um, with what you're doing or using that Venusian energy to cooperate and partner. Yeah. Brilliant. So there's that. So, and um, I mean, astronomically, I mean, people, I mean, I feel like some astrology students learn this really late in their studies, but if you just pay attention to it, it's much easier if you have like the animate feature on something like solar fire where you can animate it and look at, you know, sunrise. Um, but if you just take the chart and set it for about sunrise when the sun is conjunct the degree of the ascendant. You know, of course, when the sun conjoins the degree of the ascendant, that's sunrise and it rises over the horizon. But if the sun is rising over the horizon at that time, then that means any planets that are just slightly above that, which for example, right now we have Jupiter and Mercury and Venus, are going to be planets that already rose over the ascendant a little bit prior to that time. But it's a it's just a good way to start to orient yourself and connect what you're seeing in the birth chart, which is a abstract two-dimensional depiction of when you go outside in the morning just before sunrise and you actually can visibly see these planets in the morning sky. Yeah, that was uh that was month 7 of the fundamentals of astrology this year and last year and the year before um for my students was telling them to go out and watch like the the stars no, and the planets to rise. be able to be able to tell the phase of mercury or venus immediately when looking at a chart. Right. Or else I, or else I frown at you frown and, and wag your finger if it's earlier uh if it's in an if it's earlier in degrees and an earlier sign and it's separated by at least 15 you can see it if it's later or you can see in the morning if it's later um that's going to be an evening rise it's really easy once you've got the eyes for it you just have to you know look at it a few times <laughs> excuse me look at it until you can see that and then when you can see that's the easiest thing in the world yeah, definitely. There's just a few different like frames of reference that are going on with respect to the solar phase cycle versus the movement of the planets through the signs of the zodiac versus the diurnal rotation and the movements of the planets around the the axes sort of represented by the horizon and the the midheaven IC. Uh Demetra's book actually, the, her new book deals with a lot of this and there's like a huge section right in the middle that deals with the solar solar phase cycle especially and its interpretation in ancient astrology and things like planets moving fast or slow what their phase relationship is to the sun whether they're rising or setting under the beams 
stationing and, and all sorts of other things like that. That's one of the reasons I'm actually really excited about the book. And I think it's one of the biggest contributions that she's going to make with it is reintegrating a lot of that stuff around the solar phase cycle into the modern discourse about planetary condition. Mm. That's going to be a valuable contribution. Yeah, it's really important. Definitely. All right. Um, so that's Venus. Uh, what else are we looking at at the beginning of the month, at the start of the month, that's notable or that we should talk talk about? What have you got your eyes on, Austin? <sighs> well, I think one thing that's worth saying is that for about two-thirds of the month, the Sun and Jupiter will be in the same sign, and it's a Jupiter-ruled sign. And I know that yeah. last month we talked about you know Jupiter and Sagittarius a, a fair bit. Um, but the, you know, in a sense, we've got like 20 days of getting to know Jupiter better and getting to know, also getting to know Sagittarius itself better because having the ruling planet of a sign, in this case, Jupiter and Sagittarius makes all of the characteristics of the sign, um, shine that much brighter. They become very obvious. And in this case, um, you know, these are rather positive characteristics because <laughs> we're talking about Jupiter and a, a sign ruled by a benefic. And I guess also in, uh, on, this, on the topic of uh, horizontal factors and when you can see stuff and when you can't, um, Jupiter, the Sun-Jupiter conjunction is in no late November, but by the middle of the month, we'll be able to see Jupiter in the east with Mercury and Venus for the, we'll be able to see Jupiter for the first time in Sag. And so when a planet's light becomes visible like that, you, the things that were brewing while it was invisible start to become really obvious. And so I said a little bit last month about how, yeah, Jupiter's in Sag, you're going to feel it and you're going to be thinking about it, but you're really going to start seeing what it means in December when Jupiter becomes visible again. And that's going to be a little bit different, you know, in different places in the globe and depending on horizon or uh, atmospheric factors. Um, but, you know, it's basically the middle of the month um, when the sun and uh, Jupiter are separate by 15. So that'll be that'll be nice. And we'll, you know, we'll we'll have been getting to know Jupiter and Sag not only because of that, but because of this particular Mercury retrograde cycle. Mm. It entails not one, but three conjunctions between Mercury and Jupiter. The first was in, I think, early November in um, in Scorpio. And then the second um, was in late November um, in Sagittarius. And there will be a third conjunction between Mercury and still relatively newly ingressed Jupiter and Sagittarius. Yeah, that's. I'm definitely excited for that to come up. Um, I'm just trying to look at the date. It's, oh, the 21st on the solstice. Yeah. Um, Mercury conjunct Jupiter. Because it is, it's a, I know it's crossed different signs. We've had Mercury conjunct Jupiter in Scorpio the first time, second time while Mercury's retro in Sag, and then the third time Mercury's direct in Sag with Jupiter there. It it does create this really interesting three-part process that is different from but connected to the Mercury retrograde itself. And I, I don't know if I'm going out on a limb here, but I, I know we've got this crazy Mercury retrograde and it's squared by Neptune or the Mercury station, but I'm a little curious as to how the Mercury retrograde is going to play out given that it is ruled by Jupiter in Sag and that there is sort of this, 
not that there's no mercury retrograde problems, but somehow whatever mercury retrograde problems you're dealing with, they sort of feed or speak to the larger Jupiter and Sag story. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I think the story is going to end on a much more positive note than it began. Yeah. And this December 21st, I mean, this is the date of the solstice, um, Mercury and Jupiter. It's one of the really um, kind of busy days in December because we do have the solstice happening. I think Venus is trying Neptune on this day as well. But then it's like Mercury, the messenger comes to Jupiter and this just feels like hearing some good news or welcome news or a letter arriving that you've been waiting on. Um, yeah. With Mercury conjunct Jupiter in Jupiter's sign. Yeah. One, as one a, of the, oh, go ahead. One of the things I can't, I keep coming back to, cause like looking at this, we're looking at the day for December 21st right now is it's just so closely square to that Neptune. And that's such, um, I feel like that's going to color Jupiter and Sagittarius so much this time that it might be hard for us to even anticipate fully what that's going to do or what that's completely going to look like in the same way that it seemed like that ended up being a huge component to Saturn going through Sagittarius uh, a couple of years ago or a few years ago, which really modified a lot of the delineations in like really significant ways, especially in retrospect. Sometimes it was in ways that weren't immediately clear as we were going through it, but that's sometimes the nature of Neptune. Um, but when we're we're talking even about the Mercury Jupiter conjunction, I keep looking at that square with Neptune because it's so tight within just like four degrees um, as a major modifying factor of everything that's going on in Sagittarius. What do you guys do? You guys have delineations for Jupiter square Neptune? Yeah, I have some ideas. So one. Jupiter and Neptune's significations are not nearly as hostile to one another as Saturn and Neptune's significations are. Sure. Uh, and two, Neptune is present in Pisces, which is a Jupiter-ruled sign. Mm -hmm. And so the Saturn, the Saturn-Neptune squares gave us a lot of um, uncertainty about boundaries. You know, it's literally Neptune's uncertainty and capacity to dissolve versus Saturn's attempt to create certainty and to clearly delineate boundaries, which it's not super good at in Sagittarius anyway. And so I think, again, I think you had a much more, I think we had a much more hostile situation there. I think what we have with Neptune being square to Jupiter or Jupiter being square to Neptune for a lot of 2019 is we have sort of a the there's a there's a capacity to go from realistically positive with Jupiter in Sagittarius to you know to slide into fantasy land right. but that's that's a that's a much smaller slide than the Saturn Neptune slide because Jupiter is already in its sort of um, optimism, sometimes can can blow things out of proportion or exaggerate them in a way that's not fully realistic, but is at least optimistic in a positive way. Well, you're also, you know, if we're talking about Jupiter's power, we're talking about the ability to imagine something first, which isn't yet, mm. and then to make it so. That's good, right? That's good. I like that. Yeah, and so that's already we're already starting in imagination land, right? Um, <laughs> yes. Which is Neptune's happy place. Right. Yeah. Um, well, 
And it's it's good to point this out, I think, because one of the things I was thinking about with December, we've got Mars joining Neptune in Pisces and a bunch of planets, um, Mercury, Jupiter and the Sun spending time in Sag. So we're really starting to get that emphasis between the tension, you know, between those two signs. And that is you know, one of the main, if you like, outer planetary type aspects for 2019 is Jupiter square Neptune. So it's sort of just starting to let you know, you know, are we staying in the realm of realistic fantasy or have we gone too far off the deep end? And that's something we're all going to be exploring the relationship between off and on throughout 2019 um, as those aspects get stronger. I think it's January that Jupiter starts to square Neptune exactly um, by degree. And yeah, so it looks just, like January 13th or 14th is the first exact square. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I agree with what Austin's saying around there's more of an affinity or, you know, there's, there's more similarities between Jupiter and Neptune. And then the other component, of course, is that Jupiter is kind of ruling Neptune in Pisces. And so we didn't have that when we had Saturn in Sag. Um, Saturn was a little maybe outside his comfort zone in Sag to start with and then having to negotiate with Neptune from that place. Definitely. That's a really good point. Um, and I wonder, because it's like, I don't know if it works this way with outer planets, but with other planet, with inner planets, traditional planets, there's a mitigating factor of reception often really takes the edge off of a square, but I mm -hmm. honestly don't know how I feel about that or if that works with outer planets as well. If reception is a potential mitigating factor when it comes to hard aspects with outer planets. You guys have any strong or medium weak opinions? Um I think in this case yes. I think this is like a solid two I, I think Neptune has um significantly less um desire and power to disrupt or contradict what Jupiter and Sag is doing than it did Saturn. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know if I necessarily have like a clear absolute about the outer planets and what you're talking about there, Chris, but I, I do think there's something like a, a friendliness or a there's already a tie between Jupiter and Neptune because Neptune's in Jupiter's science. It just sort of seems like there's potentially something a little bit more productive or useful as an outcome, even if there are a lot of, you know, tangents, uh, which are very typical of both mutable signs and certainly Neptune along the way. Sure, sure. All right. Um, so I guess we'll we'll be talking about that a lot more since this is probably going to come up. That's going to be one of the major like mundane outer planet aspects that's going to get activated probably presumably at least three times next year with Jupiter squaring Neptune. So I'm sure three, three Kelly? Yes, okay. we do get three. Yeah, I think right through until September, but I'll double check. So I'm sure that's going to make a major, um, become a major focus in our our yearly forecast, which we're going to do next month. So I think we can save some of that discussion for then. Um, before we get completely off track with just like the initial sort of chronological giving of dates that we usually do. So on December first, we have Mercury retrograding back into Scorpio. Uh, we have Venus. Um, ingressing moving forward from Libra into Scorpio on December 2nd. And then the next major sort of event that happens is we have Mercury stationing direct in late Scorpio on December 6th. So we have the, the closing down of the Mercury retrograde period that we're experiencing here in the second half of November. 
And then eventually in that same week, we have a new moon in Sagittarius on December 7th. Yes. And uh, Mars conjunct Neptune on the same day, I think, yeah. December 7th. Right. I mean, I, I did want to just make a quick reflection that the meandering co- start to our conversation <laughs> today, because the last few episodes have been really good at being yeah. quite chronological. Right. I feel like that meandering is almost just a metaphor or some sort of gestalt for the energy of December with so much Jupiter and Sag and Pisces energy. Like we kind of are living the December energy as we are attempting to do the December forecast. I think we do that most times. We Usually Chris keeps us better on date Yeah, order. we're even more off than usual. I think it was partially because um, – <laughs> We ended up with a, a Gemini rising election today for starting the recording, and Mercury's ruling the ascendant, and it's like almost exactly square Neptune from 13 Sag to 13 Pisces. So this is a nice preview of some of that that Neptune and Pisces energy that's going on. That dazed and confused. Um, now, there is a comment coming through in the chat box, which was something that I had wanted to throw out there too which is there's a couple of links to the fixed star Antares this month. And one of them is on the 2nd of December when the sun hits 10 Sag and kind of picks up the vibration of Antares. And then later in the month, Jupiter will actually get to 10 Sag. So I was curious about, you know, Antares is one of the royal stars. It's known as the Watcher of the West. And, you know, when I was first taught about Antares, I was taught, of course, it's the alpha star in the constellation of the sign of Scorpio. So it's like this pure Scorpio energy. But I was taught that the way we often see it show up is that it indicates the closing down or the ending of cycles in a similar way that autumn does, like these sort of natural or necessary kind of death or decay experiences. Now that's coming through from the star being in the constellation of Scorpio, not the zodiac sign of Sag, which are two different things. Um, And I'm just curious about how that might manifest for some people in December around needing to shut certain things down before they can really get into whatever growth or opportunity Jupiter and Sag might be indicating for them. And I think Mm. that December 2nd, when the sun hits Antares, is a bit of a clue around something that might need to be wound down. Yeah, I love that because you think you would almost think that we're we're done with the darker or more introspective or brooding nature of Mercury going through Scorpio, but it has to return back to that before it can fully push into into Sag and then complete some of those conjunctions with the Sun and Jupiter um, in its direct phase. So it's returning back to Scorpio, conjoining that fixed star, and then stationing direct in that first week of December. Yeah. Um- I think I was referencing the sun conjunct Antares on the second. I'm not sure oh, sorry. if Mercury gets there that first week. Yeah, sorry. I was just connecting it with um, the simultaneous totally, uh, sort yes. of um, happening of Mercury basically stationing around the same time. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Is that something you had um, incorporated in your thoughts of December, Austin? Yeah, I noticed the the... Well, the sun hits Antares every year. The sun hits everything every year. Um, but that Mercury, the Mercury-Jupiter conjunction is right on top mm. of Antares. I um, I don't think of Antares at all as a star of endings. I think that's okay. that sounds like accidental because it's at the end of the calendar year that the sun hits it. Um, when I see Antares in natal charts, I see... Um, with Antares, I see a willingness to fight and struggle. 
not necessarily like in a bad way, but a willingness to get to like get in there and fight for something, to fight to make a, you know, to fight to be successful, to fight to um, be the best that you can be, to fight because you're an asshole, whatever, but like all of it. Um, and the Antares also um, anchors one of the nakshatras. Um, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, Jesta. Um, and one of the themes which is associated with Jesta is being the best, is competing and out-competing people. Um, you know, being being better, being faster, being stronger. Um, and there's, you know, you have to struggle if you want to be the best um, in, in whatever ranked hierarchy. And so I think it does come at a time, especially this year, of endings because we've we because we made it through we've almost made it through um <laughs> this uh this very exciting 2018 um and that mercury jupiter that final mercury jupiter conjunction which is would be significant it would be significant to have a mercury jupiter conjunction on top of antares at any point but it's the third and final and so it does have this this role of finishing things out but and that's the I think there's going to be like, OK, so now that we've done all this, what are we going to struggle to make real? Like, what is what are we going to struggle to make the best it can possibly be? So anyway, that's that's my experience and thoughts on uh, Antares. Yeah, because I, I totally get, of course, that the sun hits it every year. I did think it was interesting that we're getting that Jupiter activation this year. And of course, to have Mercury right there on top of it. So it just felt a little bit more poignant. Definitely. Um, with that combination. And you'll be able to see that too. That's that's something people will be able to see in the morning. You'll be able to see Jupiter, Mercury, and Antares all visible for just a little Together. bit before the sun rises. Yeah. Okay. So this is just before the helical setting? Um, no. Sorry, um, let me back it up. Every Everybody's yeah, right. Both Mercury and Jupiter are on the rise. Yeah, right. Yes. So the sun is moving away from Jupiter, so it's coming out from under the beams. Um, but Mercury, because it's picking up speed again, eventually is going to set under the beams of the sun. Yeah, it's still rising at this point. Yeah. Because it's just come out from uh, under the beams. There it is. I'm just looking at when it gets within that 15 degree range, but it's not until um, much, much later. Oh, that's Jupiter. What you're looking at now is Jupiter's 25 from the sun. Yeah, I was looking at Mercury getting to Oh, Mercury getting within. Okay. It's 15 it. degree range, although like we were saying I think in the pre-chat discussion that even that's like an approximation and that each planet really varies depending on your location and, and other factors. Yeah. Totally. Anyway, you'll be able to see them all. It'll be good. And that was another tangent for this episode. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the the new moon in Sag March? Sure. Or Mars conjunct Neptune on the seventh. I don't know. Do we want? I just want to make sure, Chris, that you're happy with what we're doing I, in the early part of the month. We don't. We don't um, want to give people the uh, the uh, skipping a lunation square, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's not Bingo. skip the Bingo. lunation. So this is the lunation that takes place on December sixth at it looks like fourteen degrees of Sagittarius. Yeah, fourteen fifteen Sag. I think by the time the moon might be fifteen. Fifteen. Um, I'm just animating the chart and getting there. Yeah, you're right. So the moon doesn't catch up until the sun hits 15. So it's about 15 degrees of Sagittarius. We have a new moon. Um, that's also Mercury's stationary at that point. It's stationing direct at 27 Scorpio. Uh, the lunation is squaring 
Mars and Neptune, which are conjoined almost exactly. Those are also going exact at 13 degrees of Pisces. And that was like a huge issue I ran it we ran into with elections this month is wanting to take advantage of Jupiter now being in Sagittarius and in its own sign and wanting to make like a Sagittarius rising chart uh, or some sort of Jupiter election, but having Mars in Pisces like squaring all that Sag stuff all month um, creates a tension that's really hard to get around with some of the day charts. So yeah, it's different, yeah. and it's it really feels like that square is very poignant around this new moon. I mean, the Sun Mars square happens um, a couple of days before the Sun Neptune square, just in the lead up to the the new moon as well. So there is that sort of frustration, aggravation feeling as we get, I mean, the sun and Mars squared off at each other, but with the new moon and, Ma- and Neptune in the mix. Yeah. Right. No, I think with everybody being Jupiter ruled and Jupiter being in Sag, you know, there might, there's definitely going to be some, some fire, you know, with Mars's fire, it's always, I always ask the question, I'm like, okay, is this going to be activation or irritation or yeah. to what, you know, what mixture of those two? Um, and so, uh, leaving out Neptune for a second, this, as far as, you know, sun Neptune or excuse me, sun Mars squares, you know, this has got some pretty positive stuff going on. Like this will, I think this will be more towards activation and enthusiasm. You know, when you get Mars mixed with Jupiter or ruled by Jupiter and aspecting Jupiter, Jupiter uplifts Mars pretty easily. And you get more of that, like, you know, excitement. Maybe you're over eager to go out and, and conquer or whatever, but it's it does tend uh trend strongly towards the positive as far as Mars stuff goes, as far as the range of Mars stuff goes. Sure, but then not okay, give me the same delineation, but then not ignoring the Neptune conjunction that's happening simultaneously. Okay. So well, I wasn't ignoring it, just that we have that that Mars Sun in um in square to each other for most of the month. Um, so with this exact, uh, with with this lunation, it's interesting because I think one thing I find with um, Mars-Neptune aspects, especially a conjunction like this, is that I see occasionally, you know, if you watch the news, you'll see a Mars-Neptune story where somebody just goes nuts and you're like, ah, there we go, Mars-Neptune. But uh, what I most often experience and just see, you know, in the week around that in life is that Neptune seems to almost dissolve Mars, where you actually have a distinct lack of motivation, which can be irritating. But there's also often a distinct lack of conflict. It just sort of temper like that torch goes into the water and it's just sort of like, okay, I don't really feel like doing anything, but I definitely don't feel like arguing. Right. So it's sometimes Neptune can like sap the energy or the will of Mars to be assertive or to be directioned and like to take a specific course of action. Yeah, um, that that's what I see. Oh, I completely agree on that front. I would go so far as to make a bold statement there and say Neptune always does that to Mars. Yeah. Um, the symptoms of having Neptune in hard aspect to Mars in the natal chart, you know, you can be very lethargic. Some people have health conditions that are hard to diagnose and manifest with symptoms of tiredness or low energy. Sometimes it's literally low iron and things like that. Um, it almost feels like this pattern around the new moon is like maybe having a bit of a funk or losing your spark and not really knowing why. And, there's a moodiness to it, I guess, rather than potential aggression. 
Um, might also be a but break. It could, yeah, like uh, there's a there's these two periods in the month where we get these like um, super Neptune vibes and this is one of them. The following week when the moon goes through Pisces is sort of this other one and just taking a little time. I agree with that for sure. Um, or, you know, there's that tension between the Mars, Neptune not wanting to do anything and the new moon in Sag. You know, often we see on social media with astrology, the new moon is like, do all these new things for the next month and get started. And this might just be a little bit more mellow than that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. So the the moons with Mars in Pisces and Neptune around December 14th, December 15th, that was that other range of dates you were mentioning? Yeah, it's just like we do seem to sort of swing between, oh, we've got ex- a little bit of extra, like it's a very saggy Pisces month. And then we have these periods where it's a little bit more Sag here or a little bit more Pisces there. Mm-hmm. And I think um, maybe this is kind of what we're speaking to, Austin, is that most of the stuff that is happening, even if it's a typical like square aspect or what have you, it has more of a benign tone to it because it's all coming back to this rulership by Jupiter and Sag. Yep. It's not like, you know, when Mars is in Aquarius squaring Jupiter and Sa- Scorpio and they're, they're really digging their heels in. This is just like, ah. Oh, Let's just, you know, keep on what it just feels more benign. That's the word that I keep coming back to. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I am just. Uh, um, so we didn't miss that first lunation. Yes. We're going <laughs> to, that's going to keep us on track from now on. I think Lisa doesn't, doesn't realize what she's unleashed on us in pushing to continue to improve in a funny kind of way. Lisa has done a great job with that. Definitely. Um, I'm just trying to pull up some famous like Mars Neptune conjunction peoples and people in order to illustrate that point from a natal perspective because it seems like that's sometimes a useful tool to demonstrate or sometimes people appreciate that having a more concrete example. Do you guys know of any or have you had any um, Mars Neptune um, examples that you frequently think of or in- invoke sometimes? I'm gonna put my thinking cap on. Do you have anything, Austin? Do you mean like a natal chart or? Yeah, like a natal, either a close Mars-Neptune conjunction or even like Mars-Neptune being in the same sign and therefore co-present and kind of rubbing off on each other in that same place. Oh, let's see. So in the very first astrology class that I ever taught, there were four people with a Mars-Neptune conjunction. Wow. <laughs> Which I all met at a Kung Fu school. <laughs> Are we kicking things again, Austin? We were also, we were doing a lot of punching things there too. Okay, right. But yeah, I think if I can get it together, I'm totally posting a video of me kicking something on the internet for you tomorrow, Kelly, to celebrate Mars's entrance into Pisces. Please. I think myself and the entire podcast crew who just laughed and laughed about my innocent comment about maybe you wanted to be a soccer star and you were kicking bodies. Um, we would all like to see an exemplar. Okay, I'll see what I can do. I'm busy, but... Okay. I know. You've only got 2,000 other things to do. Um, Chris, here's an example. Bill Clinton. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. Okay. It's a good first, one. It's like right on the ascendant. <laughs> right on the ascendant in Libra um, with Mars ruling the Aries descendant. Yeah. That's kind of tied into the thing we were talking about. We're using him as an example, I think, of the when you were talking about Libra and the sign one as somebody that had Venus in Libra like in the first house. And yes. his sort of um, having like an air about him or something that people often reported as being very striking when they met him in person as being very charming or something. But the 
it's not just having Venus and Libra, it's having Neptune, Mars, and Jupiter right there on the ascendant as well. Yeah, and he's if so, if anybody was listening when I was talking about Neptune Mars aspects by transit and being low energy and someone might have a Mars Neptune aspect natally and was freaking out, you know, Bill Clinton might be an example of, you know, you can still have energy levels and you can still obviously get a lot done even if you do have a Mars conjunct Neptune aspect in your natal chart. Well, so uh, Christina Caudill in the comments here is mentioning Charlie Sheen and I believe that conjunction is in Scorpio. Mr., yes. uh, you know, who's, um, how should we say, whose performance of the Marshall uh, was strongly <laughs> drug-fueled, right? So we have the Neptune and the Mars, um, and literally, so, you know, Mars ruling iron and to a certain degree the blood, and so he was like, I have tiger blood, right? Fantasizing Neptune about the blood, um, Mars. Right, but it was entirely... Kind of, it was kind of delusional. He was going through like a really sort of almost like manic period for a few years there. Well, he was on lots of drugs, right? Yeah, um, he was clearly in the haze. Um, sure. So that's I'm just throwing up these charts really quick. There's that's his chart, and then here's Bill Clinton's chart for those watching the video version with the ascendant at five Libra, and then Mars at six Libra, Neptune at. Six, also at six Libra, so that's an exact conjunction right it's on the ascendant. It's very tight. Uh, Venus at eleven Libra, and then Jupiter at twenty-three. Another one I found is um, um, Charles Manson actually had a Mercury Neptune conjunction in Virgo in the fifth house. Mars Neptune. Mars. Sorry, yeah, yeah, Mars Neptune. I did this in class when I was teaching on Monday night. Every third word that came out of my mouth was a technical typo. Like I was just saying the wrong word. Right. I know. I actually opened this show. I got Mercuried. <laughs> I opened this episode as I think you pointed. Somebody pointed out to me in the chat with saying the date was wrong as well. I believe I said December fourteenth. You guys said. Yeah. 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 But you know what? Mercury is in its madness state right now. It's out of bounds. It's in detriment. Square Neptune station. It's all the things. Right. Um. Let's see other just like random ones. Um, Weird Al Yankovic, I have his. I was going to say, did you find his? Yeah. Yeah, he's got uh, um, Mars conjunct Neptune and Scorpio in the tenth whole sign house. And oh, Lady Gaga. Does, does she? So in love with her chart. Christina's uh, giving us the heads up on her. Do we have a time for her? I don't remember if we do it, or not. It is somewhat speculative. Her birth time. I think the nine fifty three is commonly used, but it's not. Like an A-rated time. Okay. Um, she would have a like she's got Mars at zero Capricorn and Neptune at five Capricorn. So I think whatever time she's born, she's got um, Mars Neptune. Oh, I have a good example. It's not somebody you would yes. know, but it's still a good example. So I have a <clears throat> I have a friend who has an exact um, like a very tight Mars Neptune opposition, which is still going to connect them very strongly. Uh, on the descendant, uh, ascendant, descendant axis. And um, one of the things she does is she's a an aerialist and sort of a circus-style performer in a company, in a dance company that only performs um, mythology. So they'll, like, perform uh. Babylonian mythology um, in amazing costumes on 10-foot stilts, like, doing crazy aerialist stuff. It's very... Neptunian illusion, but they're also, you have to be in the best shape possible for a human to do any of that. So there's the Mars Neptune. Nice. Beautiful. That's a great, Beautiful. like, constructive manifestation of that energy. And I would love to, like, 
promote their company, but I don't want to give away someone's chart details without talking to them about it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so that's good little chat about Mars Neptune. Um, where are we at in terms of the month? We're, we're basically still just talking about the first week or the first half of the month, basically, at this stage, right? Yeah. The middle is a little quieter in terms of like a lot happening. So, yeah, all I, all I really see is Mercury. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say Mercury goes back into Sag. Yeah, December twelfth. December twelfth. Yep, and we've kind of and we've and, and then it heads for Jupiter, which we've been talking about. Mars is departing from Neptune at that point, getting some fire back. Right, which is nice. And I think actually this is, um, the stage You're, because you it's, got an electional chart. Yeah, in the second week we were really struggling with the election because we had so much trouble trying to. Lisa Shine was looking up the elections this month and. Um, really wanted to use that Jupiter in Sag and even Mercury in Sag, um, but had so much trouble getting around the Mars squares and the Neptune squares. Uh, so we found a few different charts. There's one that's like a pretty decent chart, but it's not one that would otherwise like stand out as being like an amazing election that we thought about featuring this month. And then there's another chart that's um, sort of like a teaching example. It's a good example of some of the issues that you run into with electional astrology. And we decided to feature that one this month, not necessarily because it's the most amazing election possible in December, but because it's um, decent and it shows you some of the hard concessions that you sometimes have to make when you're doing elections. So um, let me let me pull it up. Uh, really quickly here. So the chart is set for December 13th, 2018, uh, at about 6:12, you know, quarter after six in the morning, local time, wherever you're at. So let me throw that chart up on the screen really quickly. Here it is. So you're shooting for about seven degrees of Sagittarius rising for one possible version of this chart. And there's two two versions because it really makes a difference whether you make this a day chart or a night chart, and you're gonna have some major you're gonna have some major differences one way or another depending on which one you you go with. All right, so here's the chart. It has Sagittarius rising. Mars or Mercury has just ingressed back into Sagittarius, where it's making its way now towards Jupiter. So we're out of the whole Mercury and Scorpio period. And we, since we have Jupiter in its own sign in Sagittarius, we want to take advantage of that and we want to make Jupiter prominent in the chart by making it the ruler of the ascendant. So this is one of our early um, Jupiter sort of elections by having Sagittarius rising, uh, Jupiter as the ruler of the ascendant, and making Ju Jupiter either conjunct the ascendant or at least somewhere in the rising sign or otherwise in the first whole sign house. Um, so it's there along with the Sun and Mercury. So the Moon in this chart has just moved into Pisces, where it's going to square uh, Mercury, but then eventually apply towards a square with Jupiter with reception since the Moon is in Jupiter's sign. So the major, and this is a relatively good chart if you want to take advantage of all of the things that people associate with Jupiter and Sagittarius and that both we've delineated and other astrologers have delineated in terms of some of the potential for optimism and confirming things and growth and expansion and everything else. 
Um, the downside is that you either have to make Mars um, the more difficult planet in the chart and make it somewhat prominent, or you have to make Saturn the most difficult planet in the chart and put it in the second house of finances, which is going to make this chart not very good for financial matters. And it's going to depend entirely on whether you make it a day chart or a night chart. Um, do you guys kind of see where I'm going with that? Mm-hmm. Totally. So if you were doing, if you were going to begin an endeavor where you wanted to make money, you would do this once the sun had risen, so that Saturn in the second was less malefic. Whereas if you were going to say build a house, which is a fourth house matter, you would want to do it during the night so that Mars in the fourth whole sign house was not as malefic. Yeah, exactly. Since in day charts, Mars is going to be the most difficult planet in the chart, putting it simply, whereas in night charts, Saturn is going to be the most difficult planet in the chart. So you literally have a choice here because you can make this because the sun is you know, at 21 degrees of Sag. So you could make this a night chart by just having early Sag rising, like having six or seven degrees of Sag rising in whatever your location is. That will make this a night chart because that means the sun will be underneath the horizon below the ascendant and it won't quite be daytime yet at that point. So that's one option. And if you do that and you make it a night chart, you're going to render Mars in the fourth house in Pisces, which is squaring a little bit widely some of the Sagittarius stuff, you're going to make it less of a problem and that it's going to take a lot of the edge off of that square. Um, you know, the downside, go ahead. I'm just going to jump in. I was just looking sure. at days and hours. So mm -hmm. one thing that might tip the scales here is if you wait until day, then you get day and hour of Jupiter with Sag yeah. rising with Jupiter on the ascendant as opposed to day of Mercury, hour Sunrise. of Saturn. Yeah. If you make it a day chart. Yeah, if you it, yeah, yeah, if you make it a day chart, you get if you wait till sunrise. You get day and hour of Jupiter with Jupiter in the first whole sign house. Cuz it's a Thursday. So the first um planetary hour of the day starting sunrise is going to bring the double Jupiter right. vibe. And it's like Just for listeners who may not be familiar. And, yeah. and it's it's nice and that's going to emphasize Jupiter even more and make it even more prominent in in what is already a Jupiter election. But then the downside is just you're also going to like mildly afflict Jupiter by um, having Mars squaring it as well as squaring the sun. And you're going to put the moon in the same sign as Mars in a day chart, sort of very widely applying to it by a, by a conjunction, although it will go through Mercury and Jupiter first. So it's not a complete deal breaker. Um, so it's just a matter of, yeah, where you want to place the emphasis of the the more challenging planets basically and what you're willing to deal with in order to get that. If you did make it a day chart, that would make this chart much better for financial matters. Like if you're launching a business or you're doing something where the financial component is really like mission critical, then you probably would want to do that. That way it's just Saturn in the second house and Capricorn in a day chart, which can make things um, develop financially more slowly or put some barriers in place initially, but eventually in the long term, it probably becomes a strength or something that eventually works out relatively decently uh, further on down the road. Whereas conversely, if you made this a night chart by backing up the election like an hour earlier and doing it before sunrise, you put Saturn in the second house in a night chart, that's going to indicate much more challenging long-term issues with financial matters as like a recurring theme 
with the most difficult planet in the chart in that house. So it's that versus putting Mars in the fourth in a day chart and some of the potential problems that could come in terms of, let's say, the home, the living situation, the foundations, things that are hidden or not um, evident. The fourth house, it's often sometimes overlooked that the fourth house is the most hidden part of the chart, and it can, can sometimes indicate things that are not apparent or not visually um, you know, what you see at first. So yeah, those are the two options. So we wanted to highlight this election not because it's the most amazing in the month, because you have those two major potential drawbacks depending on where you put um, those planets and whether you make it a day chart or a night chart, but it's a nice illustration of the type of issues that electional astrologers often face in having to choose and make some concessions in terms of um, you know the more difficult planets in the chart and what you're okay living with and sort of baking into your electional chart versus what might be a deal breaker and what might not be okay for a certain type of election. Yeah, I just want to add one more thing. One thing I like about this is that it has the um, the rulers of every angular house um, conjoined. You have Mercury ruling the seventh and the tenth, and you have Jupiter ruling the first and the fourth, and you have them, you know, within six, within seven degrees, with Mercury applying, and so that's that's nice to have all of the powerhouses lorded by two planets that are right next to each other, with one of them a very strong benefic. Yeah, and that's actually the other election that we almost featured, but instead we're going to talk about just on the Auspicious Elections podcast is um, one set for. The actual Mercury Jupiter conjunction, like a few days later, where we can kind of take advantage of that conjunction even more. And even though it's closer in proximity to, at that point to the Neptune square, um, it's still sort of nice and, and a little bit of a bit auspicious. So, anyway, so that's the electional chart we wanted to feature Ooh. this month as like an educational example. Go, okay, do you so want to say something else? yeah, just I, I think a little bit auspicious would be a great name for something like a podcast or a blog or something. Right. That would be a good a good band name, astrologer band name a little a little bit auspicious. A little bit auspicious. I'm sure there'll be many iterations of that coming out in the next 12 months with Jupiter and Sag. Right. Um nice call Austin. Yeah, so that's the that's the election for the month, um, and we're going to deal with. I think Lisa found three or four auspicious election charts um, later in December that we're going to talk about on the Auspicious Elections podcast, which is available to patrons who sign up through our page on Patreon on the five or ten dollar tier, and then you get immediate access to that episode, which we should be recording and releasing sometime this week. Yeah the the pretty damn auspicious edition. <laughs> right, the pretty damn auspicious pretty, election. Pretty damn. Oh my gosh. I mean, you made a really good point. I can see this is like a great teaching tool election because you do sometimes have to make decisions when you're doing electional charts between is this thing more or less important because we can't conduct astrological surgery and put things exactly where we would like them. So it's part of the reason with what, you know, when you do cons engage someone to do an electional chart for you, that's part of what you're paying them to do is to make some of those tough decisions. <laughs> yeah, you're right. paying them to look at it for an hour and go, eh, uh, <laughs> and like being clicking forward and backward through minutes. Oh my hours. gosh, you almost get like RSI in the finger. Like, what about this time the next day or change, you know? You know uh, well, that's better, it, but then that's gone, that's messed up. And uh, now this is stuffed up. And yeah, it's a lot of neurotic hemming and hawing for me. <laughs> 
Yes. Well, well, it's great also yeah. because it gets to the heart of of astrology and electional astrology, which is sometimes you have to choose. You're given the option to choose, so you can choose, you know, potential outcomes in the future. But sometimes you can't have both. Like yeah. in this instance, in this chart, we can't have both. Like let's say a good fourth house and a good second house. You have to pick which one's more important to you, and you have to be okay with the other one. You know, being not great or potentially having major issues that you have to struggle with in that area. And everything is context specific since there's some things where that's okay or where you can get by and still think have things work, whereas there's other things where that might be more of a deal breaker. Yep, yep. Yeah. All right. So um that is yeah, somebody Lisa Newcomb says that sounds like life, and that's true. I mean, that's a good point. But it's, it's sometimes it's so it's not it's so much more stark within the context of electional astrology having to make that choice that sometimes it's not something you're used to dealing with in natal astrology, which is a little bit more fuzzy sometimes in terms of making those choices and whether this outcome is going to be, you know, starkly more problematic one way or another. Yeah, totally. All right. Definitely. So um, I'm pretty sure that brings us then to the end of the second week of December and takes us into the um, third week of the month. So when we get to that point, we're basically talking about the uh, next lunation primarily, right? The full moon on the solstice in Cancer. Yeah, because I mean, we we mentioned earlier in the show, but that Venus comes out of her shadow on the seventeenth, which is sort of through the middle of the month, and then yeah, it is really the solstice that I'm happy to skip. Or to move towards. Is there anything that you want to throw in there, no, Austin? No, I think that, that was the next thing I was looking at. Yeah. Okay. So we have Venus uh, passes its shadow degree and Venus retrogrades officially over December 17th, uh, by December 17th. And then the sun moves into Capricorn on the 21st. And we have- Yeah, 21st. And then shortly thereafter, the moon moves into Cancer. Yeah, like, right. like really shortly thereafter. Yeah, because the full moon's at zero cancer. So uh, I always find that a little more polarized when there's a full moon right on like a solstice or an equinox point, particularly a solstice point, which is sort of a an extreme point anyway to do with the sun's journey. It really feels like there's that that pulling or that shifting or that tension of opposites, that sort of classic full moon energy feels very potent or strong at this time. Yeah, yeah, I I really like the full moon in Cancer every year, um, and this is a this is a relatively lovely one. I mean, I guess there are some Mercury and Jupiter are still tightly conjoined. The Sun is um, within about ten degrees of Saturn and applying to it, but it's not too tight yet. Um, you know, the the Sun and Moon are finally like off angle from Mars, which they you know the the Sun's been in at least the sign based square with Mars for pretty much, you know, the, the pretty much the whole month leading up to that. And this, to me, this feels very cancer Capricorn. Like there's not yeah. a ton of other stuff to, to really color it. It's, it's very, it's very much that lunation, which we get every year uh, on its own terms. Hmm. Yeah, I really like one thing I always appreciate about the Cancer full moon, which of course we have every year sometime between late December and late January, just depending on where the lunation falls, anytime the sun's in Capricorn. 
but I like it because I, the polarization of the the very nurturing, soft, or maybe not soft, but the, the wetness and the connectivity of that moon in Cancer opposed the sun in Capricorn. And I, I like what you said there, Austin, about it really feels like Capricorn versus Cancer and it's very pure in its expression this year. Right. There's a real dark light polarity thing going on here as well because the sun at least in the northern hemisphere, of course, when it hits Capricorn, it's at the coldest and darkest part of the year. But then simultaneously, we're going to get the moon on the opposite end of the spectrum at its brightest on the same day, uh, which is weird sort of contrast symbolically. Totally. Yeah. The, I mean, I've, I always find those, those contrasts and those extreme qualities are so heightened around a solstice anyway. But yeah, this is the depth of winter. It's the shortest day in the Northern Hemisphere. Lucky people down in Australia will be baking in the hot Australian summer sun and we'll all be very yes, jealous. I, I will have fled back to the North American continent by that point. <laughs> so Austin, you will be flying back. I'm not sure the exact date, but I'm presuming sometime in, around the middle of December, perhaps. Yeah, we, we arrive uh, back on the 12th local time. Okay. So I always find it interesting when I fly between the hemispheres in December because you, you're almost celebrating winter solstice and summer solstice in the space of a 24-hour period. Um, you know, you'll leave Australia with the very long days um, and you'll come back to the States with much shorter days. It, it's quite a contrast. It's kind of fun and loopy to think about. Yeah. it's um, <laughs> It'll be a perfect conclusion to the Mercury retrograde. <laughs> Um, going, true. yeah, flipping seasons twice. Um, I'm hoping yeah. this that it will give me some greater insight into thinking about how, uh, thinking about the two simultaneous seasons happening all the time, because we've been talking more about seasonal factors lately. And it's something that I've been trying to think about for a while, like whenever I'm like, okay, it's the solstice. That means that on one half of the world, it's the longest day at the same time as in the other half, it's the shortest day. And trying to think of that from an Earth-based perspective rather than a single point on the Earth-based perspective, that makes sense? Yeah. I, yes. I'm, I'm still honestly really struggling with that lately because I'm having a hard time divorcing um, the tropical zodiac and the way that it's grown and been developed symbolically in the Western tradition over the past 2,000 years, which has been largely Northern Hemisphere-centric. And even though the astrological community and the world in general has become much more global and more dispersed throughout, and astrologically, we've done a really a pretty good job of attempting to, to make astrology more inclusive, um, there's still like a, a fundamental like conceptual issue there that I struggle with in terms of the extent to which the tropical zodiac in much of its western conceptualizations has been rooted in in the northern hemisphere in, in those seasons versus how much it's not at all and is something that's universally applicable and does not need to be flipped depending on the hemisphere right yeah it's um a not to be untied hopefully gracefully within our lifetime yeah, I mean, I think Patrick Watson recently published an article where he tried to provide a solution to this that has to do with like the direction that the the galaxy is headed or something like that, where he tried to orient it in a more galactic universal framework in order to make an argument for why the 
um, vernal equinox should be started there and why that's a respectable starting point that's true in both the northern and southern hemispheres. But that's been the, the question I've been asking astrologers for about 10 years now is come up with a solution for why the vernal point is a valid starting point for the zodiac that's true in both the northern and southern hemispheres, and then you will have solved, solved that conceptual issue. Yeah, because it works, but the why is um, the the why a, a a more clear why would be nice, right? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, yeah, it just comes down to the rulerships because the the modalities or the quadruplicities we don't have an issue with, but it's really why are we assigning the sun and the moon to Cancer and Leo? Uh, that is true in both the northern and southern hemisphere because that appears to be the basis of the the start of the rulership assignment rationale scheme. Yeah, the symbolism definitely comes from the northern hemisphere seasons. There's such a crossover there, um, and the weird magical thing is the application of that to people born in the southern hemisphere still rings true, and it does make me wonder about the essence of something rather than the actual thing. Like the difference between the intention of something, I guess it's very it's very abstract. It definitely requires a lot of contemplation, sure. Austin, and that thirty six thousand feet, you know, flight ceiling is uh, a great place to ponder such things. Yeah, well, and I have plenty of time on my hands. <laughs> yes. So we did get the second lunation in December, the full moon in Cancer. I mean, what I was thinking too, you know, I think a lot about the astrology of the latter part of December because I think a lot about the holiday season and, you know, what people may or may not be doing at different points through the month. And that full moon in Cancer, it's basically over the weekend just before the Christian Christmas celebration, which I know is not something everybody is going to celebrate. But for those of who might be gathering with family or friends that may be far away, it's common to do some of these celebrations the weekend before or the weekend after. And that weekend feels a lot like gathering with your intimate inner circle, whether it is um, family biologically or by blood, or it's your friendship family or your family just in your, that feeling of family that you get in your local community. It feels like there'll be a lot of that coming through with the Cancer full moon over that weekend just after the solstice. Yeah. Well, that, that old grand trine with a few things. It does oppose Saturn. It does have to oppose Saturn and Pluto, but the full moon in Cancer will form a grand trine with Venus in Scorpio and Neptune in Pisces on the uh, on the twenty third. Yeah. Right. So that's quite cuddly. It's quite cuddly. <laughs> yes. Um, and did we 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 had a, a Sun Saturn conjunction last year, right after the Saturn went into Capricorn, right? Yeah, because I'm because sure Saturn did. had just ingressed. Okay, so this yeah Saturn was early. Uh, let's check. So this isn't going to be. This is how my ephemeris gets beat up on. Oh, yeah, you got a new one. Um, that was a big like Instagram story this month. Was you? What had you done to that? That ephemeris was in tatters, and I I honestly I smashed it in about two years. It it just died on me. Do you still have it around? Um, I, I I do. I, I am sure. Hang on one second. I'll find it. Keep talking. Okay, because it's not. It's not. It's funny. It's not a thing that's unique to Kelly, but it's like every astrologer, whatever it is, the American ephemeris, 
I'm not sure if it's because we use it so frequently compared to most books since it's a reference book that you're constantly flipping through, or if it's just that these things are produced somewhat poorly. <laughs> uh, well, no, that's just that's terrible. What I don't think you can look at the the pages fell apart. I mean, 2017. I've clearly I'm done with it. It has come out. Just holding up a piece of paper that has like a bite mark taken out of it, or I don't. Is that is that I'm your cats sure. or your husband or? <laughs> it just fell apart, and it fell apart in the middle of the page. Right. And so I, I just, this is my third copy of this book, yeah. but I mentioned this to Lee Lehman at a conference once and she said, I have to find a book binder who will strengthen the spine and put a hard copy on it, Okay. which I did think sounded good, except, you know, because I travel so much, I didn't want to have to carry a heavy book. Like one thing I do like about this 50 year one is it's very easy to slip into the laptop bag. Right. Um, yeah, I, I've gone anyway, through like four, we, so I'm not even... Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I'm in good company no, no. then. That's excellent. Um, yeah, we did have a sun satin conjunction basically on the solstice last year, my trusty ephemeris. It was funny though, um, I got a lot of comments on my Instagram post and story about this with people wanting to learn how to read an ephemeris. Mm. So this is uh, bingo card number 2675, which is another podcast episode should be on how to read your ephemeris. Yeah. I've been meaning to do at least at the very least like a video on my YouTube channel for that, but maybe we could turn it into a podcast episode if we could figure out a way to translate that into audio successfully, like an audio discussion. Oh yeah, it's very visual. Yeah, like looking through the tables and Yeah, it's very visual. Uh, but it might might be worth so... a discussion about the ephemeris in general and like the value of learning how to use one as well as, you know, a little bit about how to actually track it. Honestly, if nerd culture has become cool, this is the nerd Bible. Right. <laughs> uh, and it's telling me, my nerd Bible, that the sun will, will conjunct Saturn on the 2nd of January. So happy new year, everybody. Yeah. Well, and so the after that that mm, somewhat full moon. squishy full moon, uh, we have the sun sliding towards conjunction with Saturn for the rest of the month. And yeah. that is significantly less squishy and it you doesn't know, quite conjoin before the end of the year or end of the month but it's getting pretty pretty damn close and i think what we can meaningfully contrast that with all of the jupiter stuff that was happening earlier um you know we had the the mercury uh the third mercury conjunction to Ju to jupiter which was in sagittarius and so you know with the jupiter stuff we're looking you know it's it's a reset into what's possible, what's worth striving for, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the sun's conjunction with Saturn is a reset on what's gonna, what just has to be done, facing necessity, facing obligation. And, you know, that's one of the, and, and so it, January therefore focuses us to some degree, if we're willing to cooperate with it, on both the the positive and negative of the year to come, you know what we're going to have to do, and then what we might be able to do, and that's one of the real the chief features of 2019 is Saturn and Jupiter will both be in the signs that they rule for virtually the entire year. We have a really strong benefic, and a, we have the greater benefic Jupiter in Sagittarius in great strength, and we have the greater malefic Saturn uh, in a position of great strength as well. 
And so, you know, we have these, you know, here's the good and here's the bad. Here's what you have to do and here's what you get to do. Yeah, I, I love. I really like that. Sorry, Chris. No, I, I love that. That's great, Austin. Um, and and look at this. We're getting so it's December thirty first. It's the very last day of the calendar year, and we're getting so close to that conjunction. We're within about a degree of it by the end of the day. The sun is at ten Capricorn. Saturn's at eleven Capricorn. Um, but that night, in most um, time zones, before the end of the day, Mars. Um, finishes its trek through Pisces and switches over to the other cardinal sign into Aries. And it's so weird how we get that switch basically at the very end on like the 31st of December, pretty much the 1st of January. And then basically the next day, we get the Sun Saturn conjunction and Capricorn at the same time. It's a very, it's kind of a stark way to open up 2019. With having that Sun Saturn conjunction and the sort of realism or the constraint that you're talking about, Austin, with also Mars entering into its domicile and entering into a much more dynamic sign than certainly Pisces, which it was transiting through for a month and a half, but even to some extent, uh, its transit through Aquarius in the previous months or, or Capricorn prior to that. Yeah. So I realize uh, I get this into it, 2019 and the next yeah, year, but it's still. It's it's a Something. heck of a way to start the vulgar new year. The did you say vulgar new year? Yeah, that's the the calendar. Okay. It's the vulgar new year. That's that's the correct term for it. The like calendar the calendar year as opposed to the astronomical year. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, cool. I've not just not heard that turn of phrase before. Um, it, it is a very. I think you guys are. I agree with completely what you're saying. It's very harsh. It's very different. I think as soon as the sun moves into Capricorn, all of the the bubbles and you know hopeful excessive sun and Jupiter together. I mean, Ficino calls the sun and Jupiter and Venus the three graces, and he talks about these are the three planets to appeal to for kind of health or vitality or just goodness in general. And to have, I thought that was a great point that you made, Austin. We've got the Sun and Jupiter in the same time together for the first three weeks of Sag, but then, then we don't. And then we have the Sun and Saturn in the same sign together, and that that's very much the party's over. Now you've got to do the cleanup, back to reality. And you know we've got that running through those last ten days of December, which is also when Jupiter sort of goes um, over Antares as well. So there is a really different tone or feeling to those last 10 days of December compared to the rest of the month. I mean, um, look we have that every year with the sun going into cap, but um, with the conjunction to Saturn looming. Sorry, Chris. It looks very like sobering to me is the keyword that's coming to mind with Mars, like yeah. departing from that month long sort of party with Neptune, the conjunction with Neptune and Pisces. And then suddenly it yeah. switches out and like the party is over and like the same almost within 24 hours, we get the Sun-Saturn conjunction, which itself just into itself would be a very sobering um, symbolically sort of influence. <laughs> yeah. it's a, I would say, yeah, do your partying around Christmas and then maybe not so much around New Year's Eve. Well, and interestingly around the Christmas date, we have Mercury square Neptune again on the 24th which will actually spill over into the 25th if you're in Australia. So it does look a little loosey-goosey there, and then the end of the month is, is, is very different. You know, maybe part of this is that thing, it's kind of a cliche, but for some people it actually works out as like the New Year's resolution thing and like getting down to getting, um, getting to work basically at the start of the new year 
um, the some of the like sobering stuff going on here almost looks like that in a in a positive way, or you could perhaps spin it in a positive way that could be constructive. Well, shall I try? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> because I do think you know the start of a calendar year is often when people are thinking about long term goals. They're thinking about achievements or plans, and I think in some ways that sobering energy of Saturn might help people narrow their focus so that instead of saying, I'm going to fix every area or make changes in every area of my life, it's much more targeted around, let's pick one or two priorities and see what happens when we give them our full effort, our best effort, our prioritization. Right. Because it, like, it's not just time. like the, the the sobering and the focus, like you're saying there, um, and the dedication of the Sun-Saturn conjunction, but it's also Mars switching into Aries and perhaps you know, having the drive to um, push yourself to do some of those things and to sort of drive yourself forward versus this very sort of directionless um, Mars-Neptune conjunction, which we've been going through for a month and a half up to that point. Yeah. Th like there's two things that when I think about that Mars switch into Aries, I think fantastic. Mars is in Aries. He wants to get stuff done. He wants to make like Nike and just do it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting to have that very early in January, and we're going to have six weeks right through till mid-February of Mars in Aries. But I'm very aware Mars is going to have to negotiate with Saturn um, as he moves through Aries. Sure. So it is, again, whether it's sobering or external interference um, from the Saturn influence, which kind of puts pressure on your enthusiasm or your motivation. Um, but it's... It, it, there's certainly a more, like, I think that the key that we're sort of alluding to is Mars dries out when he moves into Aries. He's moving from a wet sign into a fire sign. So he's more clear headed. And that dry energy is what's going to carry us through into the new year. And dry can be clear thinking, clear decision making, less emotional. Don't worry about the fluff, no must, no fuss. Um, it can be a little bit separative in the sense that there can be such a, a kind of a, a uh, focus that other things just get cut away. Uh, so I think this, these are some of the themes that we're thinking about or, or considering when, we, when we're starting to think about January. Yeah, it's kind of like I was reading recently that a lot of people, they, um, they'll, they'll go back to the gym in January, but then they'll try to push like too hard and they'll injure themselves. And so it's, it's yes. kind of like the drive and enthusiasm or balancing the drive and enthusiasm of Mars in Aries and its home sign and the exuberance of wanting to like push yourself to do better versus like still taking it easy and recognizing your your limitations or your boundaries and not you know forcing those to run up against each other in a way that results in you hurting yourself somehow. Yeah, so do you guys think maybe we should save new year's resolutions for next month? Well, and I, I realize we should, but the only issue is just that because we're going to do the entire yearly forecast next month, we usually end up skimping on January because it's such a small initial speed bump towards getting to the other like really interesting stuff the rest of the year. So that was the only reason I thought it would be okay to go a little bit into this since it all switches over right on New Year's. Okay, we weren't going to do a January and a yearly. No, we. I thought we were. Yeah, we will. That's we will for sure. Yeah. Uh, I was just. It, I guess what you're saying, Chris, is because Mars technically is moving into Aries on December 31st, so it's like an energy shift at the end of this month, but it's setting up January. Yeah, that's the only reason on. I wanted to. I thought it was okay to dwell on that a little bit here, just because I know we're going to spend so much time trying to evenly distribute 
the full 12 months during the next episode that we're not going to spend. Oh, okay. I see. I thought we were going to do separate episodes for January and 2019. Gotcha. No, no. We end up, um, we always, when we do the December one, we end up just making that the entire forecast for the entire next 12 months. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I thought what Austin thought. So that's good. We'll just have one less show to do. I mean, if you guys want to do two episodes next month, I'm, I, no, I actually take that back. I'm not doing two episodes. Let's just, <laughs> we're going to do. We'll do a year ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, then we should, we should talk about the Venus conjunct Jupiter in Sag in January. Okay. Well, well there's so many that's things gonna to get talk overlooked. about in January. Oh, well, I know. Well, I'm like, okay, no, no, no. shit, quick. What do we need to throw in? No, no, we don't, we don't have to go. We're not going all the way into January. I was just throwing in those two because the Sun Saturn conjunction is so close it happens like right after the new year switches and mars okay, got it. goes into aries like new year's eve so that's a, that's really the main reason i want to talk about those just briefly because that's that kind of caps off the very end of december and the very end of this year but otherwise we do start getting into stuff that's a little bit more further afield in january it's definitely a get to work after seeing all the glorious jupiterian possibilities sure yes yeah it's very different from december <laughs> Definitely. All right. And that, I mean, that pretty much brings us then to the end of the month. Is there anything else we need to be mentioning about the end of December or anything else that we forgot to touch on about the forecast in general for next month? I just wanted to, this is, I don't know if it's like maybe on the lighthearted front, but I always like to look at the energy of New Year's Eve for all the party people. Um, and I thought, yeah, okay, Moon in Scorpio, um, kind of late in the moon phase, just whether that had more of, again, this sobering tone or more of like an intimate celebration with maybe a small group of friends rather than the big parties. I know everybody's in different ages and stages of life that's listening, but um, I don't know if you guys had any comments on that or any thoughts. Sure. I mean, there's a nice, what do we got? We got like a nice moon Neptune trine going on. We've got the moon good, Venus conjunction. Good for party favors. <laughs> sure, but then there's also a little bit of a sobering sextile from Saturn. Ooh, um, a sobering sextile to Saturn. I think you win the alliteration award <laughs> for uh, tonight. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's nice. Other than that switch, other than the Sun-Saturn conjunction itself, which is kind of looming just around the corner. Uh, you know, the next day, basically, when everybody wakes up after whatever their New Year's Eve celebrations were. And other than Mars switching signs that night, which actually could be a significant shift for some people, it's like, you know, with whole sign houses, that Mars is going to switch into a new house in everyone's chart. And for some people, that could be a bit more dramatic than for others, depending on which house that is or whether that house is activated by transits. Whereas for others, it's not going to build up until later in that sign when it hits an angle or like a personal planet or something like that. Totally. Did you have any New Year's Eve uh, tips or thoughts, Austin? No. I don't okay. like New Year's Eve. I'm not a huge fan either. Like I'm often in bed with a cup of tea by 10. Um, I didn't. But I know that I'm not, I'm not the majority. <laughs> I'm always, uh, so when I was younger, I didn't like it. And then I found out that it's because our calendar is wrong. And I was like, see, I yeah. was right. Um, and I'm also, um, I don't know, I just end up doing my, my partying earlier in the month, and that's the last thing I want to do. You know, the sun's been in Capricorn for 10 days. My mind is not on, on revelry. It's on, you know, 
what I need to get done and what I want to do and how to build structures for that. So, I'm, you know, I don't know. I've just never really liked it. Cool. That makes sense. Yeah. I've always thought, I agree with you, like the partying is the sun in Sag month. And I think the full moon in Gemini, which comes obviously earlier, I think it's actually late November this year. I always think that's a really good celebratory kind of energy. It's just, it totally feels like party to me. Um, and that last period of December, it's like, I've always liked those last 10 days of December because it's like everything gets quiet for a while. That feeling of like shut down or everybody's just maybe in their little corners. And I like it, you know, because running a business, it's a time when actually, you know, you won't get a lot of emails um, and things just not that, you know, I have any problems getting emails because I run my own business. Emails are great, but it's nice to have a few days where you don't feel there's that urgency to get back to people, I guess. I, I hear that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, guys, I think we've reached the end of this episode and we've covered our last, this is pretty much our last um, forecast for the year because next month, of course, we're going to be focusing on 2019. So we just completed our 12th whatever forecast episode for 2018. High five. So Yay. what is that? Yay that's us. like, so we've done three full years and then like half of another year. So that's maybe like, the 42nd, 43rd, 44th episode we've done together just doing months. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, because 42 months. Yeah, if we've done three and a half years. We did our first one in the on the Venus Jupiter right? conjunction in Leo in like June of 2015. Yeah, I think it was June. Yeah, it was like post Norwalk. Right. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's nice being at the end of the year. We've all keep upping our game and trying to improve things. We're all now on like new microphones, so that we've been improving the microphone. We got Kelly on the nice one, Austin. You got we got yours earlier this year, and I've been on mine for about a year and a half now. Um, yeah, and and that's largely actually due to support from the patrons and the listeners and everybody that's been so great. And we really love all the fans of the show and everybody that comes up, especially Kelly, you just had a conference recently where you met a lot of listeners and a lot of people came up to you. I totally did at the uh, at the Soda Astrology Conference. Uh, it was a lot of fun and it is, it's always lovely to meet people who are listening to the show and you know they'll often share little tidbits, um, things they liked or can you add this in or what have you. And it's always great to, to meet people in the flesh uh, in real life. Definitely. And hopefully we'll all be doing a lot of that next year, I think starting with Norwak in May of 2019 in Seattle. Yeah. And I'll be doing yes. a little bit of that in about a week and a half in Melbourne. I know there are right. going to be some listeners you will, there. Austin. So let's, uh, let's have a beer or seven. Yeah. It's Australians. There'll be more than one. It better be. Brilliant. <laughs> It'll be hot too. You'll need it to cool down. Well, I, have a great time, yeah, Austin. Yeah. I, I know Chris I and I will want to hear report. all about it. Uh, I yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine it not being super fun. Excellent, awesome, cool. All right, guys. Well, yeah, and I look forward to hearing the rest of your like Mercury retrograde stories centering <laughs> around. I'm, I'm sure there will be some kerfuffles. Sure. Well, thank you for regaling us at the opening of this episode with your initial and our sympathy goes out to you as the first sacrificial victim of the mercury retrograde during this cycle <laughs> of the, this month um but good job persevering and and yeah thanks for sharing that it was a great example i think oh good good yeah i mean i just got back from seattle like uh six hours ago so this just yeah. got solved 
Right. You're a massive trooper for like keeping our pre-booked podcast recording date. I <laughs> well, think, I, I well. warned y'all last week. I was like, <laughs> I know oh, we yeah. had contingency I was like, plans. I, I was like, it's for sure. you know, it's Mercury Mess Week. I might need to stay another day or whatever, but things went according to plan. So I was fully prepared for you to be like um, connecting in at the last minute from like a coffee shop in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, right. Just random people in the background. Right. You're ta- oh talking about you're talking about Mercury retrograde very loudly and very enthusiastically while everyone looks at you weirdly. Yeah, there's some weirdo in the background like photobombing and making faces. <laughs> oh my god! All right, guys, I think that's okay, it. So, so... <laughs> yeah, thanks everybody. Thanks everyone in the audience who attended, all the patrons who supported the show and attended the live recording. We appreciate you. Like your comments. Um, thanks to Lisa for the amazing bingo thing, and everybody should check that out. I'll put a link to it in the description uh, page for this episode, uh, and etc. Check out the description page because that has a lot of good links on it for everything we mention in this episode every time. And that's pretty much it. So thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye. Bye.